3: We call it Epcot. It will be our experimental motorbike city of tomorrow.
1: Welcome
4: to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, taking you back to the
0: vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and tonight we'll be taking you through episode 50. This one's been waited for a long time. It's Horizons Part 2, The Promise, where we'll be diving right into the ride and all the details from start to finish of that attraction that so many of you love and so many of you have been asking us for years to do. So we have finally arrived. I'm sitting here with me, as always, this evening to go over this ride who's very excited. I know Mr. How Bowers. How are you doing tonight, How? Aloha. I am doing fantastic. I'm so
5: psyched for this. Hours, hours of research gone. I have I feel like I could keep, I could research this thing for like another five days and still not have enough <laughs> stuff written down for this. Sh- it's <laughs> phenomenal. It's, so
0: it's never ending.
5: There will be things that we will miss that we will pick up on in in the next episode right so this is guaranteed two, so
0: part part two of three next <clears throat> next month will be part three the legacy so we'll talk about everything that happened there after the demise but hey we got too much good stuff to talk about tonight so uh also coming in from the rubber city capital of the world mr jt koozer how are you doing tonight jt
2: I'm good, and like this, the first thing that goes through my mind when you guys describe this is like those old Godfather VHS tape sets. Like this is gonna be like three whole tapes worth of Horizons, and (laughs) that's right. It's insane, but uh, I'm excited because I know not much about this ride, and you know, it's I'm I'm kind of like. I picture myself right now as like Bill Murray and Ghostbusters. I'm kind of the skeptic. I'm sitting here like, what are you guys going to talk about for an hour or two tonight? So, yeah, um, yep. very excited. And school's out, by the way. So oh, yeah. It's, yeah, we, we're, yes, exactly. I get it every summer still, the excitement of school letting out.
0: So, You'll be all set there. So, cool. Oh, yeah. And without further ado, Mr. Brian P. Miles coming in from the city of brotherly love. Greetings
4: and salutations from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and I just can't wait to talk about mission space. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Is that the one where the buttons don't do anything?
4: I hey man, it's got those metal switches that go up and down that you oh like I, oh they're so
0: soothing. It's, for my it's, I love it, man. I just I <laughs> just sit there and flip them. Yes, it's like
4: I want more control panels with lots of beeps and lights and those. 12. I feel like I'm flying a seven forty seven. That's great.
0: We're gonna talk about a control panel ride that actually worked
4: tonight. Are we gonna learn about the fourth landing option that nobody got to use?
0: <laughs> we shall find out. We shall find.
4: I out. hope so, because that's the that's the Easter egg I'm waiting for.
0: All right, all right. We'll see what we happens when we get there. So, all right. So we have a couple comments and corrections from last month and and, and um, prior months, actually. Uh, Rick Webster, if you guys remember, he's he's written in many a time. And um, he said, as I rewatched Timekeeper, I know something in the helicopter sequence, and it made me curious as to whether it was a coincidence or not uh, to another Tomorrowland attraction. And we mentioned this last month, too. So uh, we got the answer now. When Jules Verne is in the helicopter and stepping out, Timekeeper says to him, if you had wings, I'd let you go. And Rick says, well, what do you think? Coincidence or not? So I reached out to filmmaker Jeff Blythe and he said, ah, yes, that is a reference that your listener picked up on. he says, I won't say it was a deliberate plug, but let's just say that the many writers who had a hand in that show probably were all swimming in the same Disney soup, if you know what I mean. So there you go. Kind of a neat, oh, and and I didn't, I never even caught that. So uh, thanks for uh, sending that in, Rick. So we have another uh, comment from last month uh, from Connor in Anaheim, California, and, um, he was commenting on last month when we talked about uh, GE and Disney ditching the name Century 3 and, uh, as Ted pointed out, the poorly named Future Probe, uh, which definitely sounds like it comes from some bad medical <laughs> diagnostic system. But anyway, um, he says, are any of you familiar with the industrial designer and futurist Norman Bell Um, Contemporary of designers like uh, Raymond Lowry and Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, he wrote a best-selling book in 1932 titled Horizons, and he detailed his thoughts on the future design. Um, he was also in the individual who personally designed just about everything for GM's famous Futurama exhibit at the New York 1939 World's Fair. So, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think? Is there any link here, maybe, to that all? And GM's p- pavilion was named Highway and Horizons.
5: Could be. I mean, it certainly makes sense. They, I mean, we know Disney looked back at lots of world's fairs for inspiration as they were putting together Epcot, and who knows? Uh, makes sense. You know, yep. they they could have dived in and and saw that name. So uh, sounds every you know every it's everything goes into the idea bag, right? And then eventually right. you make a new thing. So I why not?
4: I, I'm more so interested if there's any relation to Barbara Bel Geddes, who was Ellie Mae Ewing on Dallas. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> It was all a dream, Brian. You think her and Norman were related?
0: (laughs) Turned into the Dallas podcast, everybody. Gosh. All right. Well, we'll see. And we also have a link to the the full text of that book. So um, we'll put it out there and maybe one of our listeners will take a read and see what they think. So all right. So that's comments and corrections. I'm going to pass it over to JT for a listener mail. Thank you, Todd. Moving on to
2: the listener mailbag. First question is from Park Ebsey. Uh, Park wants to know, he's not sure if this is the world's dumbest question or not. Park, no question is dumb. Uh, he says, Does Meisner's, he pronounces it Meisner's lounge, come from Michael Eisner, as in M. Eisner? He says he knows this hotel was his baby so maybe it was a little nod to him. And I know how reached out. Uh, but first I want to see do you guys call it Meisner's like he does or uh Misner's is that another way? I'm not sure. What do you guys got? I
0: always thought it was Misner.
5: My Meisner for me. I have was...
2: I've always heard someone say
5: Meisner, so I I'm, I'm getting I just have to go with what I know.
0: All right,
2: and how uh, you mentioned who it was named after. Who was this? Was it named after Michael Eisner?
5: It was not named after Michael Eisner. Now, oddly enough, in a Florida-themed resort, they actually found a theme that was... Uh, actually, and this is highly controversial now because that space is about to become a Beauty and the Beast-themed restaurant, which makes no conceptual sense in a Grand Floridian hotel. But the name Meisner does because there was a famous architect in South Florida named Addison Meisner. He lived from eighteen seventy two until nineteen thirty-three and he was responsible for building all kinds of super cool stuff
0: onto him. And I did just find a little news clip on him and it is Meisner. So there you go. Okay.
4: Well I'm Wow I'm, I'm gonna complete our previous mail. I, I just looked and Barbara Geddes is the daughter of Norman Geddes. <laughs> Hey, look so at that. About that? <laughs> Cue the Dallas theme. Everybody. We're going to play Dallas again.
5: <laughs> oh, and I i think there was a, at least at one time a picture of him in the lounge somewhere off the side. So we'll have, we'll have to check with some of our Meisner's. There's a lot of Meisner super fans out there. So if any of you
2: super fans are listening, you can let us know. But I swore there was a photo of him somewhere. Next up is Adam Gerber. He wrote and says he was listening to our CommuniCore West episode and was looking for the brochure scans that we mentioned from the Teachers Learning Center. We did realize, Adam, that those are not there. We had scanned them but didn't upload them. So in the show notes, I'll include a link to those right on your question. I did want to add, too. This is one of my, we'll say, I don't want to say holy grail because it's not one of those. But working in education, this stuff kind of fascinates me. Anytime one pops up on eBay, it always seems to go for way more than I want to just to throw it in a box. But so if you have any of these, you know, at home, sitting there, lesson plans, anything, be sure to uh, either scan them and share them with us because they definitely fascinate me for sure. So
4: yeah, the brochure he's referring to uh, was an eight and a half by 11 four pager that opened up. It was a little booklet, uh, one sheet booklet. And the cool thing about it was it had this beautiful watercolor on the front. Uh, as you'd expect, of a like a man and a woman looking like teachers working over a computer, pointing at things on their computer screen, and that uh, the artwork—I really love it. So we'll link that in the show notes and check it out.
2: For sure, that teacher center stuff is always interesting to me. Okay, next one here is from Ryan. Ryan says, I really enjoy the podcast and all the things that you cover. Well, thanks, Ryan. I especially enjoy the discussions about aquatic things at Disney, like the wave machine at the Polly and River Country. I've heard that early on there were live fish in the deep section of Stormalong Bay at the Beach Club. Other than few blog posts that say they were removed because the the block in the water made it difficult for them to keep them alive, I haven't been able to find more information. Do you have any information on this or pictures of this?
0: Uh, I, don't, I don't. I've I don't never heard of, of of that actually occurring. And, you know, people might say, oh, you could have a saltwater swimming pool, but the salinity of a saltwater swimming pool is nowhere near the salinity of the ocean that you would need to keep those fish going. So, well, that and then the, the and sunblock means, thing is, yeah, I don't know. If yeah, that's just an... that alone and, and trying to, even if it was saltwater, trying to keep that clean with a filter and... and i i don't know we're gonna to have to do some research but i don't believe there was anything uh it, it was ever meant to be that way or ever was that way
2: now i've in storm long bay but i forget is it salt or is it chlorine i believe chlorine because i don't remember any weird salt feeling
0: yeah it's i i don't know if it was for the, particularly that one i know the the, the new pool over at uh Wilderness Lodge is actually salt water and you can taste it slightly in your mouth. Oh the DVC Um, one the DVC one Yeah, that's it's very low but you can you can tell it has a softer feel to it So uh, I have not swam at the one over the beach and yacht club So all right,
2: so I'm gonna kind of confirm based on this site. It does say it's regular chlorine water So I would say negative on the fish ever because I don't think they went salt or something that would house fish and then back to chlorine But I guess crazier things have happened um you could be confusing it with typhoon lagoon too because that is roughly the same kind of era and they did have the the saltwater thing to swim with the sharks and all that so maybe that's it and it definitely wasn't affected by sunscreen either because that was open for 20 years or so to swim with
0: those random fish so right the other thing that they could have done too is they could have blocked off an area either with plexiglass or it was just it, it was a very high salinity pool You know, it was a true, true true, saltwater pool, and then there was netting or something that kept them. I have no idea, but um, I don't know. We'll have to do. We'll have to do a little more digging on this and see if we can confirm. If any you or anyone you know knows the answer to this question, be sure to reach out. Because the research I did, everybody's like, I don't know. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay, dig a little deeper.
2: Yeah, for sure. We'll get back to you on that one, Ryan. So thank you so much for listening and writing uh, the address to get to us podcast at RetroWDW.com for all your questions, comments, concerns, uh, and a chance to get on the show. All
0: right. Well, it's time for this month's Audio Rewind. And um, how you, uh, you've you been selecting these, and I will say you, you sent our, uh, for lack of better terms and, and, and a little bit of a pun here um you sent our listeners into a tailspin this month really <laughs> uh, yes you did <laughs> um and not a lot of listeners got it so let's take a really listen. yeah that's shocking yeah yeah we only had about 15 or so entries which is huh you know we, we, we we're in the hundreds some months so yeah let's take a listen to last month's audio rewind <sighs> Well,
5: that is from the American Adventure at the end of World War One. Yeah. Uh, when they talk about the flying aces and stuff. Yeah. Wow, I cannot believe. Yep. Yeah. And now, if you maybe if you heard the music before that, oh. it would make more sense. The That's
0: right. <laughs> it might work. Well, we do have a winner. It's uh, congratulations to Heather Manning. She has won a copy of A Day at the Magic Kingdom VHS. Her choice, if she wants the end with Spectra Magic or the end with the Main Street Electrical Parade. So we'll get that out to her once she chooses. Uh, no VHS players included, so um, it also doubles as a store stop, nice little bookend, whatever, whatever have you. So... All right, so, uh, JT, you've got a prize to add in for this month?
2: I do. This is a good what story because, um, obviously, we had our son. Uh, he is now six months old. and You're giving him away already? No. Okay. <laughs> no, not yet. Okay. Um, it, in prepping for him, he is six months old right now. I bought a short-sleeve uh, normal onesie that mm-hmm. has Hal Bauer's speed ramp design on it. It's no. blue onesie with the yellow speed ramp design. Now... In my poor planning or not knowing that he was going to grow like a weed, he is now in 12-month clothes at six months. So he does not fit in this brand-new six-month onesie. So if you would like this, uh, I'm going to pick a random winner that emails me and says, hey, I would like to take your onesie off your hands jt at lbvhistory.org is my email. Just send me an email and I'll send it to you because it's going to be one of those things I throw in a box and nobody ever wears it again. So I will give it to a listener who emails me and says they would like that for their baby.
0: Awesome. Aww. Nice. And
2: then I'm going to buy a new one for him because I want him to wear a speed ramp shirt that matches mine. So There you go. There you go. like to <laughs> like get him son. an 18-month
0: mm-hmm. one. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Just hedge your bet and get a couple of them. I now. know. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to throw in a a, a a poster for this month's prize um, if you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind.
1: But you got to check out the
0: rap. All right, if you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to contest at retrowdw.com. All correct entries will be entered into a random drawing to, set, to pick the winner. And please have your entries in by July 8th, 2019. All right, well, it is time to board Horizons. I know many of you out there have waited years and years, and basically ever since we started this podcast, we've been receiving and emails. And if you were and...
4: there on opening day, you had to wait another year. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. You had to wait.
0: So, so this is like, you know, you had to wait another year. Let's talk about
2: it. Now, was it there on opening day, or was there nothing there? Like, it was dirt. I mean, like, say I'm walking up, you know, and is it is it is there a shell there? Is there a...
4: Todd's going to have to start referring to some aerial photography.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to bet
5: that the wall might have been up, but there wasn't any construction yet. No vertical. No vertical construction yet, probably, as they say.
0: We have aerial photography from January 12th. 1983 so that's what four months after the park opened the building is up and they're starting to put the roof on so it definitely was under construction on opening day Um, and I think the early I think we have a photo that dates back to November 1981 that shows some of the footers going in so um, it was definitely uh, under construction uh, when it opened and there was a a wall up and you really couldn't hide it behind the wall (laughs) no it's a big one isn't it yeah and even when they demolished it, you couldn't hide the demo behind it either. So, yeah. all right. So tonight, How and I are going to walk through the ride with you guys. Um, you know, we've been on a lot of prep work, and we want this to be, you know, for those that have never been on Horizons. We want you to feel like you've been there. We want you to hear what it was like to be there. Um, and Horizons, the the as we mentioned last month, it really started by walking up to the building. And there was a big sign
5: out in front. Remember in the planter that said horizons with the GE mm. logo. And then right. when you walked up to the front door, which was like glass o- across the whole front of it, there was another like littler sign that also said horizons in case you As got if you lost didn't know where you were. <laughs> between the big sign and the little sign, I guess. <laughs> so when, when you opened up, when that door, um, which I think permanently stayed open, but it, I think it also could, it was like an automatic door where it could open and close. um, when that opened up, you you went into this very sedate sort of nondescript hallway. Uh, remember that had like blue at the top and the bottom mm-hmm. and kind of like a, like a salmon color in the middle?
1: Yeah, yeah.
5: Uh, it was very, very boring. It's like compared to what you're about to see. But the one thing that was important about it in these reflective gold dimensional letters was a phrase. In the middle of that and the Horizons logo. Does anybody, could anyone guess what that phrase might have been?
2: I think Walt said it, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it was.
5: If we can dream it, then we can do it. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. If we can dream it. If we can dream it, we can do it. And, that's right. and for more than a few years, as you said, uh, a different version of this quote if you can dream it, you can do it, has been attributed to Walt Disney and appeared on multiple pieces of official merchandise stuff in the Hallmark store and in the parks. And it's on some de- imagineering DVDs and all kinds of stuff. But, and some of us made a secondhand job, or I should say some of us had made a second job of trying to attribute the quote correctly to show writer time Fitzgerald. But tonight we have a guest that's going to cause
6: us to rewrite history. I'm Cheryl Silverstein. I am a creative director and, and copywriter. I began my career uh, in a small place in, in a small agency in New York called Cohen and Reno, and then moved on to an agency called Marsteller New York. Uh, Marsteller uh, was its own entity, uh, was bought by WNR. There's a lot of history there, but that is where uh, that is where this campaign began. And where I wrote, if you can dream it, you can do it. I I began my career there as a junior copywriter at Marsteller. Uh, I was at that time uh, the only uh, girl, young woman on staff. Uh, And, you know, it was kind of, it was a little bit scary because there were a lot of very senior, very really seriously good writers there. And it was a very competitive environment a great place to start your career because that means that you're always going to know how to do it right. So it was a right start. Uh, and the company had been taken over by y Bill Marsteller, who ran Marsteller along with Harold Burson, uh, had retired and sold the, the agency to y which is part of WPP, very big group ad agency. And... Uh, The idea what Lumignani, who at that time ran Marcella, was very keen on getting new business and uh, it was very important to him. And it was important as a young copywriter uh, trying to make her way in the world that nobody ever heard of to be as good as I could be so I could keep my job, frankly. Uh, And uh, there came a day when we were told we were going to pitch GE. Uh, we were going to pitch parts of GE. Uh, And so all the senior writers, of course, they got a chance to work on TV or whatever. GE had an agency, but they thought, well, maybe we have a shot at this. And being a junior writer with, you know, very little sway, I was assigned to work on the recruitment advertising for GE. Uh, It was very important to them that they, they recruit very intelligent and smart people from smart top colleges. They were feeling like they were losing ground there a little bit. Uh, and so the president of my company said, OK, you're going to work on the recruitment part. And my partner, who was much more senior than I, he was very annoyed uh, <laughs> that we, we got recruitment advertising. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's it's not it's not the most ideal thing to work on. You want to work on television. You want to work on the big stuff. Yeah. But anyway, so we, we set to work on a campaign. We He said, do a recruitment ad that." makes me want to go to work for GE. And we did, at that time, we did not have Google. We did not have computers. I was there on my selected typewriter trying to keep my job. And we did a series of what they called comps, mock ads, you know, that weren't real. And one of them I wrote, there's a woman standing there and she's with a, t- a young guy and she's a teacher, he's a student. And she says, if you can dream it, you can do it uh and we we presented that for the pitch uh to our bosses and our creative directors and my my boss said if you can dream it you can do it i don't know what do you think you like it and i said yeah i like it a lot i think it's great (laughs) but i was afraid to say it and i said yeah i think it's great you know my partner he was rolling his eyes he said it's so corny you know um And it really wasn't the big part of the pitch. It was this little minuscule little part of the pitch that nobody really cared about. They were all doing TV, you know. So we did comps. We did mock-ups. And they took, I was not senior enough to go to the pitch. I wasn't senior enough to go to the meeting. And at that meeting was Jack Welch. Now, I don't know whether Jack Welch remembers the meeting. I wasn't there. But the senior management and creative directors went. And when they came back, the president of the company said to me, you would not believe what happened at this meeting. I said, how did we do He said, we, you can't even believe what happened. He said, we put all the work up on the wall. And Jack Welch pointed to that ad that said, if you can dream it, you can do it. And he said, I am buying your agency because of that ad. Oh my. There was my career.
1: <laughs> wow.
6: It's like Holy Toledo. This doesn't have, it's like a game show. You know, what do i do now? Do I get the car or what? <laughs> um so uh that was the beginning of it. So we started to work uh, so Bob, who I had worked on for the pitch now moved off it. And I worked with a woman named Marilyn and we created uh, a brochure and several print ads uh, with that. If you can dream it, you can do it as the theme.
5: Do you remember about what year this was?
6: Uh, it was about 1981. Okay. Uh, uh, 1981 or thereabouts. Uh, and I remember, uh, and you, and you ha- the perspective of this is a little, is, is different. Uh, you have to think that, first of all, GE had a tagline. They had a tagline for their main brand, which was, we bring good things to life. That was iconic. They weren't ever going to walk away from that. Uh, we needed to have that tagline in our advertising for recruitment. Uh, and so there, there's a thing we do in advertising, you know this, that where you, you create an eyebrow at the top right so the the plan was okay let's make if you we you can do it you can do it at the as the eyebrow for this campaign and we'll put we bring good things to life in the corner and uh that's how we did it but it wasn't as though this was a breakthrough huge tagline it was a very small part of something that we had won as an agency and for years and years uh you know I don't even think about it because I've gone on to other things. You know, I have a child, I rise up in the ranks of advertising and do different things. And then I'm, I'm online and I see this, you know, and I, I wait, 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 hold on guys. Not true. Uh, and that, but there, here I am. I'm going to go with Sherilyn Silverstein, who nobody ever heard of is going up against Walt Disney. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not happening. We had no connection to Disney. We had no connection to Epcot. Then Epcot came. But this was before that. Uh, and so my, I, I will stand by it forever uh, and say, if you can do it, you can do it. It was written
4: by me. So here's a question for you: Did you ever go to Epcot with your family and see your line in the ride? Yes,
6: yes, I did. And, and you know, it's funny. Uh, I said we took pictures of it. We were actually trying to yeah. figure out where those. Yes,
4: they had it on the wall, yeah. Was,
6: they did. And I and well, you're not going to believe this. This happened today. It's unbelievable. I'm I'm in my room and I'm getting ready and and the TV's on and this, I'm not going to say the name of the bank, but the bank says. You know, if you can dream it, you can do it. A quote from Walt Disney, which, you know, and I couldn't believe it. (laughs) This is what is this? This is crazy.
4: Well, it was a great line you came up with in 1981. And I doubt you thought you'd be talking about it uh, (laughs) 40 years later. But here we are.
6: Yeah, that's the truth. (laughs)
5: It's the truth. So there you have it. We know Sherilyn wrote. If you could dream it, you can do it. And Tom Fitzgerald probably changed the I to we to if we can dream it, we can do it. And that's why it's there today. And I feel really good about her story, particularly because Jack Welch really liked that. So chances are. So how about that? There's
2: some history we awesome. just did. He bunked. That's like that's right. an A-bomb you dropped on everybody there.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, let's walk a little further down the salmon and bl- light blue wall. We come across to well, it's the entrance to Future Port, right, Hal? This is
5: where turn right when yep. you go down the hallway, because if you turn left, you're going to run into a door, and that's not any good. So, but turn, turn right, and then you turn a corner, and then, bam! You're finally starting to feel like you're in the future, because you have just walked into the Future Port, uh, which was designed by a manager, Gil Kepler. And this area was made to resemble a transportation hub of the future. And you have probably seen pictures of this if you didn't even realize what it is. It looks like it's got a, you know, it's a room with a big status board on the far wall. Yeah, like a department. And it actually says future port departures across it. And then there's this long list of of like names with like flight numbers and destinations and gates and method of transports. So let me tell you what what you could have done if you had visited Futureport. So Gate 9B, you got your Love Express to Mesa Verde. You can take the Sky Train to Vildemere, the Sea Town in English, uh, at Gate 7B. You can take a Space Shuttle to Brava Centauri at Gate 3A. How about a Sea Train to Ciudad Atlantica at Gate 6B? It's now boarding. <laughs> if Brava Centauri is in your speed, how about a Space Shuttle to Astral Base 4? That's a Gate 1A. A Sky Lift to Sea Castle, Love Express to Villa de Sol, Shuttle to Nova Cité, uh, Shuttle to Omega Centauri? Well, you can't. Because while you can. (laughs) Why not? Because you can follow the open door to Concourse A. Dick Nunes himself placed a garbage can in front of the fake door on the right (laughs) side of the hallway that said it leaded to Concourse B, so you cannot go there. And that is a true story. So one of the sort of famous things about Space Mountain that George McGinnis was very proud of is how when you walk in in the Disneyland version, when you go in, there's these fake doors that look like it's going off to other places within the thing. And he thought that was really cool. So they repeated that here. So the day... That they went to showcase, you know, they do go to do the handoff between operations, Imagineering and operations. They take Dick Nunes in, and Dick Nunes is going in, figuring out where to put the garbage cans. And he literally grabs a garbage can and shoves it in <laughs> front of the, the fake door going the other way and spoils the illusion. So Dick Nunes is why there was a garbage can in front of that door, that fake door for years and years and years. That's hilarious. And you, and you, you don't dare
4: touch Dick Nunes' trash can. No, <laughs> you
5: see Isn't it fascinating? And I but I find it fascinating that imagineering doesn't concern themselves with the placement of the trash cans. That becomes an operations mm. thing. So they're going and, you know, designing everything. And then at the end when they're all done, someone is going through and going like, "Yeah, like, trash can there, trash can there, churro cart there, trash can there."
0: Didn't didn't you point that out with Galaxy's Edge the other day how the trash can was shiny? Somebody yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, the tr- right.
5: the trash can was very was i mean it had a little bit of weathering on it but it was like super shiny compared to like how you know well used everything is around it
0: right right. and
5: i mean that's the thing and i mean we know that they they'll come in like or at least in the old days it's like if there was a ding in the garbage can they would go back to the shop and get fixed up and there'd be a replacement to put out wallet because you know that was important to keep everything nice and
0: clean and exactly so yeah so if you if we were keeping track just so people do keep track here this is this is we have 37 scenes to go through tonight (laughs) okay so this is future port
4: I, i just want to set the stage on this one though because when you're walking through future port to board your ride vehicle the you know we're used to this like space age spaceship style theming now we've all seen it a million times when you walked into it in 1982 or 85 or 86 whenever you saw it like you only saw that on like Star Trek and Star Wars, and yeah. like you walked into this thing with all this indirect, like off neon colored lighting and stuff that was that wasn't direct light, and these glowing screens and everything. And you just like you did, you felt like you were about to blast
0: off. Yeah, and I think there was another pair of doors later on too that gave that same yeah. illusion as well. Was is that? It reminds me, you know, going along the same token, Brian, is that later on Body Wars came, gave that same appeal too. you know, that same, oh, yeah. same look and feel to it, you know, that you were going to go someplace. Um, so it was the airport, airport of the future, if you will.
4: That's right. This, this whole, the whole experience here was so, I don't know, the anticipation built up through the queue was fabulous.
5: Yeah. yeah, and they, it actually ties directly into the ride because there are times when they talk about how, like, with today's transportation, it's like, you're only minutes away from anywhere. So you're you're already part of the story. It's like yeah. you've walked in and, and you're in there.
0: And I think they're how, uh, you know, every single scene in this entire r- attraction ride had music and theming that was unbelievable. I, I, I was, went through and audited it all, and it was unbelievable how much is <sighs> was, was done for this ride.
5: I was just going to say, we have to mention the song here because this is where we get our first introduction to horizons theme yep new horizons we'll take flight 83 get it 83 83, 1983 yep uh to horizons which is a gate 4a so into concourse A we go and once you go through the doors, you go down a long ramp to the end of the room and then kind of double back, continuing down. And, and you talked about this on the last show, Todd, how yeah. you change elevations right away and you're like, you're heading down.
0: Heading down, right. You got to get down to the loading level, which yep. uh,
5: which was quite low. And uh, <clears throat> so one of the things early on that George McGinnis came up with the idea was, uh, was kaleidoscopes to use as travel posters. So on the far left-hand side of the room, were these big kind of windows with uh, with a bunch of mirrors and a screen in the center. And uh, they used the p- paintings that Futurist Bob McCall did as kind of like uh, conceptual pieces for the, the different areas. Uh, and they would kind of move them around. And with all the reflections, it seemed like this really big thing where really it was just like a bunch of mirrors. It almost uh, looked
0: like a giant globe. Yeah, it it does. Because they had an angle on them, which was really, really cool. That's
5: it, exactly. When you looked through the glass front, it looked like a big globe with these images projected on it. Although it was just, you know, a, a much more simpler thing. And they showed you the three environments that you would visit on the ride. Sea Castle, Nova City, and Brav Centauri. Uh, sorry, Mr. Verde, you don't get one here. They just <laughs> yeah,
0: completely left you out for some but, reason
5: that was left out.
0: But it's one uh, of our favorites as we'll get to.
5: And, and when you walk when you walked up to each one of these little windows, uh, there was a little speaker that would tell you a little bit about uh, each one of the locations. So let's listen to that.
6: Mesa Verde, the most advanced desert reclamation complex in the Western Hemisphere, invites you to explore its wide range of career possibilities. Maglev Express Service to Mesa Verde leaves every 30 minutes.
3: Sea Castle, the newest and most exciting floating city in the Pacific, invites you and your family to come away with us to the sea. Convenient daily departures by C-Train and Skyler. Brava Centauri, newest of the exciting Centauri series of space stations, offers remarkably rewarding opportunities in Earth support vocations. Come up to Brava. Space shuttles depart daily.
0: So, we come out of Futureport, and, you know, this is an Omnimover ride, and you've got to go on to... Okay, so let's talk about that for a second.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Because that's one of those things that had been sort of like, is it an Omnimover? And according to George McGinnis, it's not an Omnimover. Because it's suspended? Not just because it's suspended, but because um, the thing about the Omnimover is that uh, it can not only move in a direction, but it can change the direction that it's facing. Okay. And this uh, ride only you only faced in one direction. He he called it a suspended gondola system. So Okay. So it's it's a Peter
0: Pan facing the other way.
5: It is. It's a a one sided it's the old one sided Peter Pan.
0: Now when we talk about that too because of that, that gave some design challenges because you couldn't turn all the sets had to be built back-to-back. And if you ever see a map of it, you'll notice there's a lot of, I don't want to call them switchbacks, but very sharp turns because you had, you had to make use of the space and be back-to-back with the track. Otherwise, it was just wasted dead space. So, you know, when you look at the, the, the map and the overview of it, it was really neat. So. Yeah,
5: and everything is built around the, the Omnimax screens. I mean, right. that's really the big deal and leaving space behind the car for evac because that that was the other consideration exactly for all this. so so no matter how high you're dangling over something in horizons there was always a five-foot walkway behind you
0: that was easily accessible that you never saw yep so as you approach the uh the moving walkway um i remember it decorated quite well so that it didn't look like just an ordinary walkway there were all these kind of blue and neon pink lights and a grading again very futuristic that you were in a, an, an a tunnel of a boarding area yes um, and the suspended vehicles were on your right hand side and as they approached um, the moving walkway the doors would open on the front they would kind of slide open and they kind, and of, sli- open, and they get a, kind of stuck now the and then yeah <laughs> leave a hole in the center and and the idea was that four people could ride and you would turn to your right and two would enter and go to the left and two would enter and go to the right you'd sit down uh, and then the doors would, would close in front of you and um, it was very comfortable it, it was it was
3: the doors of your vehicle will close automatically please remain seated with your hands and arms inside the vehicle at all times
2: sounds like the clams on living the, seas no uh similar yep got sure. it some I'm, I'm gathering speed ramp with fancy clam doors that's where i'm at <laughs> yeah right there you go
0: there okay. you go so um so we get to, and that's load area, that's, that's number two, and then we go to our very first transition tunnel with some nice music, and the cloud wall.
5: Yeah, actually, they talk a little bit about what you're experiencing.
3: Horizons One is now departing. Our final destination today, the 21st century. Hey, that's some destination. My wife's right. Wait till you see the new towns of tomorrow desert farms and floating cities even colonies in space but you know this isn't exactly the first time anyone's tried to make this trip people have been dreaming about the future for centuries
5: so what's really fascinating is and this is i'm guessing this was probably made out of lexan or some other ge material yeah but definitely. there was this was it maybe 20 feet long the, somewhere in there it was, the, it was i mean it was just huge this thing of like abstract clouds and it was literally like flat sheets Of plastic just piled on top of each other, with all these cloud shapes within it, and then the entire thing was was backlit uh, by fiber optics. Uh, So the colors would like move around and change and fade up, and they'd go from blue to red, and it was really just, I mean, know, it was better than looking at a blank wall, but it was actually kind of fast, neat to look at, like with all the things and then the different layers of the plastics, you know, would give the colors a, a different look. So it was. You know, kind of this cool abstract thing, and as you moved out of out of this, you know, light show, um, the next scenes that you saw also had sort of like that same cloud shape cut out uh, in the wall, and you would look basically through these wall, uh, these cloud shaped cutouts into the scenes that we're about to talk about in the looking back at tomorrow section.
3: Well, here, here's the stuff dreams were made of. Several hundred years ago. Yep, yeah, it's always fun looking back at tomorrow. Come on, I'll show you what I mean.
0: These are the different early inventors. It was more of like a like a rear projection slideshow, I guess, of, of different. Yes,
5: in this uh, very first section, it was yes. Yeah,
0: and there were there were blues and pinks and different things in these clouds, and you know there was like the. You think of early inventors and you know a man standing there with a balloon and wings trying to fly, right? It was all static images, but yeah
5: it was it was like these old woodcuts. so there's yeah w- this very strange one with like a guy standing in a contraption with like birds on strings like carrying him up to the sky. yeah and then uh like a couple of like weird early aircraft and there were basically three positions. And then the slides would change out between uh, there'd be like two slides in each position. So it was kind of constantly fading in and out with one of those sort of famous, like sort of shimmery effects as the slides yeah. would change. Yep. Um, and then in one of them, there were two scenes from uh, Jules Verne's uh, From the Earth to the Moon. One of the the Columbine cannon like going off. Yep. And then another one of the uh, of the capsule in flight headed towards the moon which nicely sets up the next scene
0: right so this is jules verne so if if you don't know what how is speaking of that was a one of jules verne's novels which was that you could get to the moon by firing a bullet-like projectile with a man or anything else inside um, and uh, out of a giant cannon and shoot yourself to the moon which is I guess the Saturn V did the same thing, except the canon went with you for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
5: you know, so. But what what is fascinating is, so he's... Uh, one of the things I was reading about Jules Verne as, as I was doing research on this is that he himself was like a big research nut. So before he wrote any of his novels, he would go to basically the largest library that he had access to, and he would read every scientific journal or book that he had added available to him to try to learn about what he was saying or what he was going to write about in his books. He, he considered himself a, a writer of travel books that just happened to have sort of science fiction elements as a way to tie the story together. Mm-hmm. But that's the, that's the part that he was interested in. When he wrote this, this book, uh, From the Earth to the Moon, he placed the canon that you're talking about in Tampa, Florida, and no we, yes, and we actually have a park called Ballast Point, which is supposed to be kind of where uh the uh this cannon would have been set up. And the fascinating thing is uh if you draw a line across the state of Florida over to the other coast, yep. it hits Kennedy Space Center. No. And way. and there is a certain the reason that Kennedy Space Center is where it is is because there is a certain amount of boost that that the rockets get to help get into Earth orbit, based on the longitude of where it is. So you get a little bit of the Earth spin to like help you get up there. And Tampa is basically in the exact same spot. So he nailed it. Look at that. That is that's really really cool. So so Vern also wrote Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Mm-hmm. Journey to the Center of the Earth. Those those are two names that probably should be known to Disney fans, you know, by now. Yep. Uh, and Around the World in 80 Days. And he lived from 1828 to 1905. So that just kind of gives you the, the range of time. It was, it was in the true Victorian era.
3: There's the grand old man himself, Jules Verne. This is the way a moonshot looked to him back in the late 1800s old uncle jules may not have had all the answers but he had the right idea he was just a little ahead of his time
0: the next scene is a cutaway of the bullet life-size as if what it would be like if jules verne was inside the bullet hurtling towards the moon and it's a plush velvet interior, very steampunk-like, right? Turn of the century. Well, you got to wow. go in comfort, Todd.
4: I mean, if you're going to go, you might as well go first class and bring and bring your I chicken. Mean,
0: plus, you just got shot out of the cannon. Yeah, you don't know want the landing's going to be like. I like the you know the plush interior seats and everything.
4: Better have some Scotch guard on that with that chicken floating around there. <laughs> yeah, the,
0: got the
5: chicken up top, uh, and there was a do- there was a dog. There's down a below dog. Up. Yep. and all those that's all nods to the novel. Yep, and that's that's why that's in there. So the this his book was actually he had two parts he had up to the launch. And then the second book, the sequel, once the first one did well, was called All Around the Moon. And that's where this comes from. So uh, they take some liberties with the book because they're really trying to focus on Jules Verne in the in the story. There were like five human travelers in the capsule, along with two dogs, several chickens and a rooster. Uh, the chickens and a rooster were part of a prank. They were s- s- uh, snuck on board because one of the guys like wanted to let him loose when they got to the moon, so they would think <laughs> that the other like there were chickens on the moon, and they would go ha 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 ha. <laughs> you got, it, yeah.
4: Stuff that passed
5: for comedy back then, I'll tell you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, oh, and if you're wondering if the figure is a good likeness for for Jules Verne, it, it actually is. It's it's probably a little younger than we typically see him pictured. Uh, but it it, it's him for sure cool cool yeah Uh, some other features of the craft so there were three windows there was a window behind him so you could look out there was also a window at the top of the craft and a window at the bottom and they actually built it in the cutaway version it's like you can see like the the um the metal with the glass in sandwiched in between with like rivets in it both at the top and the bottom, they did a really nice job. It is.
0: Him. It is really cool. It's like like he's made this pressurized chamber or something mm-hmm. like that. It is, it's it's done done really really yeah. well. And um, do you
5: remember? Do you remember what was
0: in the upper right outside of the capsule? The moon. Yeah, the moon was right up up in the top right, and that was a, a preview for the next mini scene, I guess you could call, because it, it's still part of uh, of the Jules Verne uh, scene. You'd come around the corner and. It it wasn't just the moon; it was the the man man on the moon, moon, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, And I I think there there was an old film that was it uh, that that portrayed that there was a man on the moon, and and that the rocket that Jules Verne had would actually uh, land in his eye. And um, I believe it was. It's it? George Millet is the filmmaker.
5: Right. It was a nineteen oh film called Le Voyage dans la Lune or A Trip to
0: the Moon. A Trip to the Moon. There we go. That's it. So you come around the corner and they've taken Jules Verne's bullet and they've smacked it into the <laughs> eye of the of the moon and you know the moon is kind of like hmm, har- harumph, and it's a it's it's a rear projection of this individual in a, a makeup costume if you will at Mimicking the exact uh setup of, of, of from that movie, and he's kind of sitting there with this. Jules Verne is just smashed into his <laughs> yes. right eye. It's <laughs> not comfortable. His eye. <laughs> he's not very. Good. Yeah, and uh, right.
5: it was it was a physical moon with a with a physical rocket stuck in, and then they rear projected we, the We face.
4: should we should mention the other Epcot attraction that today has a reference to this. Yes. Journey into imagination with Figment. At the end of the ride, you that's come out, right. and Eric Eric oh, Idle's face is on the moon at that point. Um, so that that is very a very similar 2003 era Imagineering tribute to Horizons.
0: <laughs> it's a little scarier than the original here, I think, uh, but yeah, still. So that's it's, a cool little moon with its guy. And everyone yeah. knows, everyone knows the some of the stars in there actually have little little faces on it as well which is Oh which is oh really that's right in the painting yeah. part right yeah, yeah the
5: little black light stars yeah exactly yeah well one last thing about this so george McGinnis recalled in his book that they they cast the actor with the roundest face that they
0: could find oh. to portray the moon that was like the
5: one qualification we have to find that it's actor
4: like, find the guy with the roundest face actor.
0: well you know that that kind of makes sense because um since you're going to be projecting on something that's round and distorted yeah you know, you wanted to to take on that uh, that that profile. So,
3: you know, people have painted some pretty fantastic views of the future, and some pretty mixed up ones too.
0: To the next uh, scene called Robita Flats, which was based on artwork done by an individual from France. Correct, huh? Correct. Yeah, we're gonna keep the French the French theme going here.
5: Uh, so yes, there is, uh, this, the scene was mostly painted flats, which is why it's called Robina flats, uh, with some mechanical animation and it's a tribute to author and illustrator, Albert Robita. He lived between 1848 and 1926 in France, and he wrote several books predicting life in the future. Uh, probably the one that's most relevant to this show is his 1883 novel. How about that? 1883. There we go. Called the 20th century. And that's the book that Colin Campbell used as an, as an inspiration for his illustrations in this area. Uh, the book describes life in 1952. Can you imagine like trying to predict in the 1800s, uh, what 1952 was like? Uh, And it includes his books actually include all manners of like transportation and communication, some society things. He was, he was a really fascinating guy. Um, and he, he was a humorist as well as a sort of a futurist so mm-hmm. his stuff tends to have a little satire baked into it as well uh, um, which kind of pr- explains why like a bunch of the flying machines in the scene are shaped like fish for like no yeah particular <laughs> no. reason <laughs> I it's guess. a flying fish <laughs>
0: yeah i guess that could have been the thing i mean um, for his time he nailed a couple of I mean he you know, he's got things flying, right? And right? While while you're not sitting on top of them, he still was able to say, Hey, you know, we're gonna get something in the air. He's got a balloon in there Um, he also had the mass transportation of all these people crowding into a tube, which I assume is some sort of transportation unit. I don't know if it's supposed to be a teleporter or (laughs) to me, it looks like they're going into the subway, right? It is. It is. And that's essentially what it is. It's called less
5: tubes and it is a way to, it's, it is kind of like a subway. You would get into kind of like a cylinder shaped thing and like, make a bunch of people go and uh that particular one in the ride uh says that it offers speedy travel from paris to madrid uh madrid spain then down to gibraltar and then across the state uh the strait to tangiers so it's quite a quite a little transportation system
0: elon musk's uh, boring company will take care of that so The, (laughs) the motion
5: and design of the
4: flats too will in the modern era will remind you of terry gilliam's work with monty python all of his Mm. animations and cartoons were a lot of that stop motion flat stuff yeah and you can obviously see that this art was an influence on him
0: yeah oh for sure and we we should probably mention too it's all black and white and it's only colorized by the lights that are on it which was very effective in giving shadows and at certain areas where they pointed the lights things were purple things were more red um it really gave a, a really neat look to it that um, made things pop out in a different way. I, I think if it was colored, it would it would lose it. But I think there's a reason with the next scene coming up,
5: too. Yeah, and, and it really was a tribute to the, his actual artwork, which was printed yeah. in black and white for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the tube effect was really neat because there was basically a cylinder with people stuck on the outside. And the cylinder would turn, so it just looked like there was a constant crowd of people like going into this tube thing. And then on some of the flying machines, there would just be like little flaps, like little flapping fin wings that went back and forth. So there was, you know, enough motion to bring the illustrations to life without making it like right. overwhelming. I was going to say the, the Eiffel Tower is under construction. So Yes. Yeah. But, but that's what I wondered, because if it's set in 1952. Is it under construction or is it under destruction? Maybe they're taking it down because <laughs> it's no longer necessary.
0: Well, Jeff Blythe would know because they did it backwards. <laughs> yeah,
5: that's true <laughs> for this
0: film. So yeah, that is it is kind of interesting. Yeah, and
5: um, and I think that one that has to be something that maybe Colin Campbell added just to make sure that people understood it was set in Paris because this this book that it was uh, based on. Um, that actually came out before the Eiffel Tower was conceived. They they didn't come up with the idea for the Eiffel Tower until June of 1884. So mm. the book had already been published by the time it came out. So I think that was a, set, a bit of placemaking uh, right, right. that he added. Yeah. Oh, and if you hadn't noticed, the music through all of these scenes is this very beautiful turn-of-the-century kind of French-sounding arrangement of It's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow by the Sherman Brothers from the King's right. Progress.
0: Right. They use that through all these different scenes, which was, yeah. which was really neat. The other thing I want to point out too, is that, um, we've talked about a couple scene transitions now is we're, we're up to, to scene um, six here, Robita flats. There's something a lot of people don't notice in the very background. Um, as you're exiting the scene, the transition is incredible because the scenes that we've gone through so far have had very hard lines of, of scenery change. What's really interesting is Robita's artwork, um, Fades out and gives way to the futuristic background that we're going to see in the next scene. It's hard to catch, um, but how you've provided a, a new video that, and uh, if you want to go to the forty-two second mark of that film, um, you really catch a good glimpse of how his artwork transitioned into the background of the Art Deco scene.
5: Yeah, the the whole thing was very masterful the way it was yeah. set up. Really, really neat. for sure. And here too, the music. It's like, we're going to keep using It's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. It's like, but we're going to go from this very French-sounding one to like a very 1920s, you know, yep. American version. Exactly. And exactly. and and that's where we're headed. We're headed to the Art Deco f- version of the future.
0: And I think this is probably one of the most memorable scenes in all of Horizons. I mean, also to say that Disney pushed this scene even after the fact, after the, the ride was closed, so making pins of the robot and different things they were talking about, but it really it was on postcards um, you know, amongst other scenes but this one really kind of was the epitome of, of some of, some, of uh, some horizons, I think, and I think it, also for me, it was one of the scenes where you kind of adjusted yourself in your seat and leaned forward <laughs> to soak in multi-levels of detail of, of, of
3: detail. Easy Living it's always been just around the corner.
5: Well, it was—it was quite a big set too. It was yeah. T- it was two stories. It had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, so let's take a dive into easy living in the future and, and see what we have to, uh, what we can talk about. So, the, the first thing that you kind of see as you enter the scene is this elegant gentleman in a purple smoking jacket touching a cigarette holder and he's looking out this enormous window with like all kinds of cool, like art deco
6: yeah, circles geometric and shapes, shapes broken yeah. into
5: the window. Uh And and he's looking out onto this, this huge colorful cityscape, uh, which was heavily influenced by Arctic, uh, sir, excuse me, who is heavily influenced by artist Frank R. Paul's city of the future illustration, which appeared on the back cover of the April 1942 issue of amazing stories magazine. And we'll, take a picture of this cover and a picture of the background and put them side by side. So you can see like it's there's some changes, but like it's very, very similar. The, the shape of the sort of like electric power looking buildings and like the two like big globe buildings in the background and sort of the floating cars. It's, it's like straight out of there and just changed a little bit. So It's, it was really neat to see that connection. And I know when they were doing research into the ride, they looked at a lot of pulp magazines, like amazing stories and, and that stuff to try to get, um, ideas for this section. So they, they definitely took it and ran with it, um, close by is probably one of the most famous denizens of this scene. Absolutely. Uh, the robot servant who is vacuuming the floor with a GE Deluxe vacuum cleaner in one hand and a feather duster in the other. <laughs> and I am working diligently to try to find the model number of the vacuum cleaner that he has. <laughs> I, it's amazing. It's still working that that in that era, right? Yeah. I, I managed to find the bag that was on the carpet because when the ride first opened and there was GE branding on it, there was this really cool uh ge bag that was on it that went away after they stopped sponsoring the show for some reason they felt they need to take that logo bag off of it and put on a plain one and that plain (laughs) version is what's on display now in one man's dream if it's still there i don't know if how much they redid that Mm. that attraction but it was in there for a really long time
0: can we mention the carpet for a second, too? The, oh, my God. Where did, did they? I really want to know. I'm curious if they if they hand cut all those pieces. Because it's such a complex pattern, but I can't imagine going to a carpet manufacturer. No, they regularly it. did that. So they, they so they, they I mean, it's such a small space. It, it wasn't cheap.
5: No, I mean, no. Imagine. I mean, here's the thing. Horizons cost we have an actual breakdown. This is the real deal. Horizons costs $73,849,300. That's... Is that in 1983 dollars? That's
4: 1983
5: dollars. (laughs) Oh, God. So back then,
4: pavilion budgets were $60 million. 30 from the sponsor, 30 from Disney. Uh, So Horizons was more. But JT, what is the inflation-adjusted
2: number? Seventy-three million in nineteen eighty-three equals a hundred and eighty-six million in today's money.
5: That's wow. still pretty uh, cheap,
4: though. But I, I highly doubt that the Guardians coaster is going to cost eighty million dollars. I mean, it's it
5: was a boatload of money for sure. I mean, and they, yeah. and even that budget was cut back at some point. We'll talk about like how they got to suddenly cut ten million dollars from the budget in order to keep it at seventy-three. So, all right, so we got our vacuuming robot. That happy-looking robot, as well as the chef robot uh, that we'll talk about who is in the kitchen, were designed by Imagineer Eddie Suze. So uh, thank you, Eddie, because you made two of the most sort of, like, iconic Epcot characters uh, when there weren't a lot of characters at Epcot. So well done.
2: What's the thing shooting the guy's feet? Is that, like, a heater? What is that thing?
5: I will tell you. So behind that robot, there's a grandfather of the family. And he is getting pampered by all the latest electric servants. Uh, he's getting a haircut. So there's like a, a mechanical comb and scissors cutting his hair. He's sunning himself using a tanomatic machine. And he's occasionally setting, uh, changing the settings between the four settings on the machine. Uh, there's Palm Springs, Hawaiian, Caribbean, and Miami Beach. So you can get any one of those four tans that you want. And when he changes it, the light above his head kind of like changes colors a little bit. And clicks in and off. Uh, his shoes are being polished by mechanical brushes. And the machine that JT is talking about from the Atmospheric Storage Company is keeping him cool by blowing alpine chill air towards him. And there's a second option uh, in the cylinder that you can see called tropical breezes. So the, I think there were the ideas there were like four cylinders probably with different things. And this is before air conditioning, right? So this is the 1920s and 1930s. So this is before central airs. Well, this is before this is before Uncle Orville had
4: invented air right. That's, that's true.
2: Air cooling.
3: No privacy. It's all around this
5: flight. <clears throat> it's it's the modern version of the Uncle Orville gag. Yeah.
2: So how about that? But with robots sweeping your <laughs> right. Car. right.
5: Uh, he also had an ice bucket to his left with a seltzer bottle and some kind of cocktail poured for him. So that guy was he was living it up.
0: Living sure. it up. Yeah, yep. living it large. Um, upstairs,
5: there's a woman taking a bath, uh, and she is watching a singer on a circular shaped television screen, and that guy is singing uh, It's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow.
2: There's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big. Oh, he is. That's interesting. Yep. Yep. And Little nod there.
5: Oh, for sure. Away. Well, remember, this whole thing was supposed to be a sequel to The Carousel of Progress, so. It kind of only made oh. sense to integrate some of that music into that. Um, now, it's really funny about this scene; it's really only built up to be uh, to where the only parts that are built up are the parts that you can actually see from the ride. So, if you were to walk up the circular staircase behind it to get up to the top, you would see that there were only three sides of the bathtub built, and. <laughs> There's no bottom to the bathtub. It's just plywood, and that and that figure actually doesn't have a left hand and doesn't have a left leg because that was on the far side uh, of the away from the car, so you wouldn't be able to see it. So well, if they hadn't cut ten million from the budget,
4: they yeah. would have completed all that stuff.
0: <laughs> Only build what you need to see, right? That's right. That's right. Could, That's have, right. could have afforded a full mannequin. That's right.
5: <laughs> Uh, so back downstairs in the kitchen, there's a multi-armed robot, uh, and this this robot's trying to multitask. He's not doing it very well. He's trying to pour milk out into a dish for the family cat, but it's spilling all over the floor. He's making a terrible mess out. He is. <laughs> He's trying to wash dishes. He's trying to balance like a bunch of dishes. He's sweeping up broken dishes. He's frying eggs over on the stove. I like the spaghettis all over the place. Yeah. And there's just like, yeah, there's eggshells and orange rinds on the countertops. And like, it's just really messy. It's like when I cook. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is here to try to, you know, make the scene more humorous. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's uh, obviously... Uh, and the cat drinking the milk
4: on the floor. Don't yes. forget the cat yeah. drinking mm-hmm. the milk. It's almost a little yeah. Mark a little,
0: Davis in a way, too. You know what I mean? That little funny ha-ha on the side yeah. that he would throw in. Um, and, and you also... it's It's funny, too. It's like... Is, is it a cautionary tale, right? All these great luxuries. That's what I'm wondering. don't turn your back, right? This is this is what you got to clean yeah. up.
5: Or are you still trying to say, like, well, these are great visions of the future, but it's still not as great as the future that you're going to have. Because, that's right. Because, like, this stuff is junk. It's like, yeah, you might think that has neat, <laughs> but, like, wait till you experience the future. Our future that's is that's going to be so much better.
0: That's right. Yep.
5: It, is a, it, is a, it is kind of, like, a fascinating thing. Um, like, why? And I'm, I guess... Mostly humor,
2: but I, I think why don't they take the carpet cleaning guy and make him do the kitchen because he seems to do a better job? <laughs> <laughs> so much more capable. He's like version two of robots, and this guy's the, you know, the junk one in yeah. the kitchen.
5: Well, he must, he wears a chef's hat, so he must be really good at cooking. And he's got some, <laughs> he must he's got some kind of medal like that he won in some sort of cooking competition. So it's like, I don't think they, maybe, maybe they just got a bum one. Maybe they got the, the Captain Rex of. Or the, yeah, they
2: give a medal in the ride to the robot. Yeah, the robot has a little like yeah, way. clicking. Come on, yeah. it's, it's right the next lot ma- It's right hey, next to right like a
5: James Beard Award winner. Or yeah, a, <laughs> Gordon Blue or something. Mm-hmm. Gordon Ramsay. Here. <laughs> All right, Jeez. and as we as we glide out of uh of the Art Deco future, we very quickly meet another transition which i think is done now that i get to see it again from this this new video it's like with a wide angle it's like i see they did a really nice job with this transition too because they go from you know this art deco into a neon city
3: say we're just in time for the matinee yeah looking back at tomorrow through the movies of yesteryear so
0: yeah so this is the neon city which is if you can imagine um marquees starting off but everything is just outlined in multicolored neon now it's not neon as you think is like neon tubes these were um, uh, painted dowels and tubes and wire shapes that were then painted in uh, uh, fluorescent type paint so when the black light was on it fluoresced into reds and yellows and pinks and greens and everything Um, and there's different marquees of, of movies that had uh, visions of what the future would be like. And actually, I have the, the three of them listed here. Um, the first one was uh, Metropolis from 1926.
3: Hey! Quit stalling! Get back to work! Go on!
0: Woman in the Moon from 1928. And then my favorite one which was a disney film was magic highways from the 1950s
3: as father chooses the route in advance on a push button selector electronics take over complete control progress can be accurately checked on a synchronized scanning map with no driving responsibility the family relaxes together
0: uh, and woody allen sleeper was in there oh nice. uh, as well and yeah, and, and what's really neat is the way that they did these marquees is that there's progressively uh, the outline of it progressively getting larger and larger behind it. Um, so as you go by, it kind of gives this effect of it uh, turning or looking. I, I don't know how to describe it. In The video is probably the best way to see it. Um, and there's kind of all these signs around, too, saying, you know, this is what's coming and beyond and the future is Mars and beyond. And there's outlines of homes and then. As you progress to the last marquee where, um, uh, where Magic Highway, it's it's a television rather than a marquee.
5: There's a very subtle shift in there from like a radio tower yeah. to, f- to film, yep. you know, movie theaters to home and TV, which bridges the time period perfectly for the, when we get to the next section, which is the future from the 50s. So like I, they did a great right. job on that.
0: And it just ends with a couple little homes up there um, as we get to, you know, probably – uh, one of the one of the coolest areas that kind of still stays in with the neon theme because it still was neon in in a way, and this was a uh, a fifties concept of the future, um, and, and it was a, a a you know aptly named scene ten, future city.
3: Look, the future from the fifties, a bit far out, don't you think? I guess so, but we always thought the future would be kind of fun.
5: Now, in the original plans, they actually meant to do this as, like, full dimensional sets, like the Art Deco and the other things later on. But when they needed to cut the budget, they cut a couple of things. One was a third Omnimax screen. <clears throat> they took that out. They changed this scene from being fully built-out dimensional sets to being the outlines. And then they also uh, reduced the pre-show and post-show areas. So that saved him the t- so the reason we have this kind of neon look is because it saved him a boatload of money from having to build full right. sets and audio animatronics and stuff. But there's still a lot of stuff going on in this room. By no means yeah. And this is a big room.
2: It's a huge room. Now, and this I'd say to me so far, this room, tell me if I'm wrong, was the most like mind blowing. Like it looks like it's like, you know, kinda crazy to see in person, but it doesn't do it justice on our, our film here.
0: Yeah, you're you're starting to rise at that point, going a little bit higher and higher because you're getting to the apex of the ride in terms of height. Um and as you progress and you see these different things in the background, you go over this highway and it's hard to see in the video, but the there's these futuristic cars going down the highway and it says something like what traffic is backed up and you're honking and
2: it just looks like it has like big depth, like it looks like it's really like a big area. It did
4: and the colors Again, there mm-hmm. was so much going on with the colors and there wasn't a lot of moving parts, but there were just enough to draw your attention and see some activity. So you weren't looking at a flat static display. Right. Uh,
5: it, it was right. Really, right. really, really neat. So so here's some of the yep. things that you could see. And I I'm, know I'm there's stuff that I'm leaving off of the list. I'm trying to get as much as I can. Uh, so when you first come in, there's a mother and a, a mother and a father bring jetpacks watching their daughter hula hoop on the patio. And their house is the Monsanto House of the Future from Disneyland. Then in the back behind that, you see this this sort of like hanging monorail called the Skyline Express. And that goes back and forth from the left side to the right side continually. So there's That's some right. movement back there. There's a fleet of streamlined renter rockets waiting for customers off in the back. There's um a huge place called the Astro Burger with a fly-in sign. So instead of like a drive-in, it's a fly-in place. And there's a yeah, yeah jets <laughs> and there's a sign in there that says UFOs welcome. There's two schools next to each other: Cosmic College and Sky High School. There's uh, a person walking their dog, and the dog is in a jetpack, and the person is in a jetpack, and the the leash is just kind of in between them. but while they're flying around. There's. Uh, <laughs> One, there's this really neat, as you kind of move up, you can see there's uh it's probably the one you, that you're talking about. Uh, there's a long line of cars that kind of like it will go down and then turn around and then come back. And then the turnaround is underneath right. you. So it's just kind of like this continuous thing of traffic. Uh, and uh, there's another thing of traffic to your right on a turntable that starts and stops, and there's a UFO that's causing a traffic backup over there with a g- little green man, look kind of like wiggling back and forth. There's um, some sign that flips between destinations like New York and Los Angeles, and I think Chicago. 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 Yeah. Chicago, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so there's yeah. just all this. I mean, there's helicopters that move up and down. Uh, like one with two rotors and one single rotor and there's helicopter noises and there's this we change music here completely because after we made that uh, that transition up the bijou we don't have uh, we don't have the it's a great big beautiful tomorrow anymore there's this really cool like super typical it's really really cool oh and there's these little buildings where you can see silhouettes of kids inside there's kind of like these eye eyeball shaped or like ovular buildings and there's these painted silhouettes of of like family life so there's kids having pillow fights and a boy building a model rocket a teen couple like looking at each other
0: you had to go through it a couple times to absorb it. it's crazy there's
5: like a girl playing guitar and her little sister is doing a hula hoop in there and there's a girl on her bed watching tv kind of like the girl in the home of future living like laying down watching there's just all this stuff a boy working at his drafting table while his dog i mean it's it's just thick. For, with detail in this one little scene,
0: for a budget cut, it's it pretty is. amazing. It really is. Um, you know, I mean, they did they did a lot with it. And I, I want to know. I want to let everybody know too that I mentioned. But this is this is a scene ten. Uh, we believe from the budget cuts, um, there is no, officially on all the documentation no scene nine. The neon city is eight, and it jumps to ten. A future city. So I think there was going to be some sort of split between nine and ten uh, for this for this area and nothing is ever listed in any of the documentation I can find about scene number nine, which is which is really interesting. So that kind of maybe give a glimpse that there was going to be kind of a split yeah. set there as well. We come to a transition area. Uh, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, we're, we're reaching the apex of the height of the ride um, as we come around to not only kind of the apex of the ride, the climactic vision of the ride Um, also the main reason that the walls and the building actually stood (laughs) (laughs) up and didn't fall in on itself Um, but this is a transition um, for the narrators to tell you a little bit about the future
3: I suppose people have always dreamed of the future we sure do the only difference is that with what we know and what we're learning to do we really can bring our dreams to life it takes a lot of work but the truth is if we can dream it, we can do it. Tomorrow's horizons are here today.
0: So you're treated to um, this narration, and the light wall was kind of a fiber optic flashing watery... How would you describe it, How? Is coming from top down. I think there was...
5: Uh, I think it was actually surprisingly simple. There was a, I believe, like a slit cut or like a space between the wall... And then uh, mm-hmm. the ceiling, and then I, I think there was just a series of sort of like theatrical lighting that was very uh, like would go between like purple and red, some color, ba- and then they would just fade between each other in sort of the seemingly random yeah. pattern. And again, it was just it was just a very simple thing for you to look at, but like it it gave you something to look at as you're traveling down this otherwise boring hallway.
0: So the the reason for this was that you had to they wanted to block the, the city of the future, for the side view of it, because you had to make this. Um, left turn and then a real sharp right turn to enter OmniMax Theater Number One, which was which was kind of neat. So and then the uh, same thing happened on the opposite side. So instead of looking at black for those few seconds, they needed to do something there because that, that that was really a scrim to prevent you from looking into the two scenes both at the beginning. And oh, the okay, gotcha. Yeah. So that's why they're there. Yep. So um, so how I did a, a little bit of digging on the Omnisphere and the OmniMax. So let's. Let's talk a little bit about to our listeners about what this is. So, um, I believe McGinnis he originally wanted three as the center point uh, of this, as you you mentioned earlier, and they only got two OmniMax theaters. But what was really neat is this is the first time ever that two Omni screens were ever connected together, and gave a combined screen width of two hundred and forty feet and a height of eighty feet. So it's twice the width of of, of an IMAX theme.
5: That's and I was gonna say let me. Let me just real quickly, the one thing that I do know off the top of my head is like I, IMAX versus Omni and why this is an Omnimax versus an IMAX and yes. the Omnisphere. So uh, in the 19, I think they started in the 1960s, the, the company, there was a company called in Sarasota, Florida uh, called Omnimax at, or actually, is that the name of the company? No, I can't remember. They this com this small company in Sarasota was actually competitor to the IMAX format and the IMAX screens, so they built basically theme park uh, amusement screens. Um, they had several products you could you could go buy this and put a big screen you know movie in your uh, in your theme park if you wanted to, and it was very much like. Today we think of IMAX as just like a really nice movie theater. but when IMAX started, what it was is like a giant curved screen. Uh, and what they did was take this company, the Omni, the OmniMax screens, and put two of these screens side by side. So as Todd said, it was just this enormous it's almost like a half a sphere that yeah. you would go through as as you were watching these movies. Uh, And it was funny, when you hit the center, you'd kind of see where the one screen stopped and the other screen started. It It was not a little bit of warble-wobble, if you could say. (laughs) It wasn't one continuous image projected across the two screens. It really was like two separate projectors projecting on there. And you would leave one and go to the next one. um, And they'd be running the same film at the same time. Yep, exactly.
0: So the film was was a loop. um, And it had a number of different uh, scenes in it, which we're going to talk to. Uh, talk about here. Um, there are two other firsts for this film. It was the first um, Omni or IMAX microphotography of crystals and computer chips. And it was the first use of an- computer animation in an OmniMax format, um, specifically for the space shuttle docking that we're going to talk about, as well as the DNA chain and as well as the Landsat photography. So kind of uh, three different firsts there. So this, depending on when you where you were on the ride, you came in at different points. Um, Of the actual film so you could come in at any of these points because obviously you can't start the film at the same time for every single person that is coming through into the and into the theater. So um, we're just going to go on on some of it here and it was a loop with repeating um, uh, associated soundtrack uh, of of music that was sync but your car would pick up the uh, the appropriate audio for what you were seeing pretty neat for its time that they could pipe into the, the right audio to what was playing.
3: Crystals, inspired by nature, now engineered by man for an ever growing role in microelectronics. The world of liquid space, oceans of minerals and food ready to fuel tomorrow's needs. The DNA chain, life's molecular blueprint. Decoding its secrets is leading us to dramatically improved health The Sun Today we're learning ways to harness its limitless energy. Companies in space, habitats where people live and work. This is no distant dream. We're at the threshold now. A computerized view of Earth. Landsat photography, providing vital data on agriculture, resources, and ecological concerns. The cityscape a living tribute to our richest resource people here's a new kind of cityscape the microprocessor an entire computer on a tiny silicon chip
0: so we'll, we're going to start here with the space shuttle launch um and what was interesting is i looked at it and i said ah oh, it's got a white tank external tank on it i said that's only got to be Space Shuttle Mission number one or two, STS-1 or STS-2. So I started doing some digging, and what was really interesting is all the video clips on YouTube were all reverse-angled before they realized kind of what the way that the shuttle would take off, that it would obscure its vision from certain angles. So the, a lot of the television footage was all from behind the pad, uh, almost out at a boat or something. It was a view that you, you didn't see often. So I kept digging, kept digging, and I came across a film called *Hail Columbia*, which was an IMAX film about the first launch. And I took that IMAX film that that and looked at it. Was able to find a copy of it. Looked at the launch and actually matched up the smoke pattern, the patterns that the smoke made, to the one that's in the Horizons film. So I can, with 99.99% accuracy unless smoke just magically goes the same way every time you launch in Florida uh, it was actually the very first launch of Columbia it was it was shuttle mission number one STS-1 and a, um, from my memory that is
5: what I can recall about this Disney asked NASA yep. for permission to set this up and in fact once it was over NASA said can you please send us that footage because I heard that same thing
0: great. isn't that cool it's like <laughs> you have the best footage ever and I tell you if you go look at the other footage for STS-1 up there there's not much that's really good. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool.
5: Now these 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 formats of film that we're talking about these are like 70 millimeter, but run sideways, so that the right. the actual image you're capturing is enormous compared to you know other film formats. So if someone was shooting 35 or even 70 millimeter the regular way, it's like the resolution, the detail that you would get from this is so much better uh, than what was available at the time otherwise.
0: Which means just like in capturing in 4K today, you can zoom in and use a portion of it and not lose any, you know, not lose a lot of detail. Um, so, which is pretty cool. So from there, we go into a wireframe CG of the space shuttle docked with a space station. And it looks oddly like the space stations from Bravis and Jury that we're going to talk about. Uh, we then fly over landscape, uh, which is made from land, Landstat photography. Um, we fly over a, a cityscape and then they say we're going to go to a new kind of cityscape, which is the microprocessor. And that's where that m- micro comes from. Um, we see some crystals growing inspired by nature, but created by man. They love um, crystals, man. Mission yeah. Mars
5: had the crystals like this. Has got the eat. Crystals. Yeah.
0: Just lay down, put them on all your, <laughs> your important points and, you know, you'll, you'll feel good. Yeah. Um, and then the scene that I always found boring was the like oceans. Like, oh, no, I don't want the ocean scene. But when the ocean scene was done, it came to, I thought, was the the best, best part. And I would lean forward again when, when in the attraction. And this was a computerized DNA chain that would swing out from the right hand side and then start to spin. And if you just focused your eyes on the center of the screen, you felt like you were twirling 360. And uh, it was, even though it was just a CG wireframe, it was awesome. Because it, um, it
5: brought you right up the axis, the y-axis of yes. the DNA chain. So you're basically flying up the middle of it.
0: Exactly. And spin, it was incredible, spinning around. So, And then we go to a wireframe of the sun, talking about harnessing the energy, uh, and then that would cut then back to the space shuttle. So um, there's some great themes in there, um, great music, and also, to the base when the space shuttle would launch, would... would would really get you now i was reading and i can't remember how my understanding is that ge did actually develop some in-seat rumblers or sensors yes. or things yes and that was one of the scenes where they would go off so you would feel in your bum you would feel the rumblings and grumblings of of and i don't recall if there were any other scenes but that's the one where it really, really i think hit. that's
5: the one where they really use it yeah there was like a sub bass as part of it i think that's the one that really were yep. really kicked in
0: so, as we come out of OmniMax Theater Number Two, remember, as we talked about, there were two joined. We go through uh, one of those transition tunnels, as we talked about. And that is to block uh, the view into Nova City.
3: What you've just seen are the building blocks for the future up ahead. And while it may look fantastic, remember, it's all possible. That's right. And we ought to know we live there. Come on, take a look at 21st century living. On land and sea and even out in space. But let's start off at our place.
0: All right, so how I think we come to one of the next most elaborate scenes here. As we come through out of the Omnimax, we see a doorway leading down with some plants outside. And we're going to peer in at our hosts. Um, there's some use of Pepper Ghosts going on here. We've got recessed lighting. The dog looks suspiciously familiar. All of this we've seen all this before. We've
5: seen all this before, but where? But where? And it's actually kind of interesting that uh, that you start off this thing on the outside of their building. Like, you, yeah. most of the time, you know, you go into a scene in any other Disney ride, and you're like, you're inside of the room with them. But in this case, you're actually going on the outside of their apartment. What do you think? Oh.
3: Attention Horizons passengers Our travels will be briefly delayed Please remain seated Your vehicle will begin moving again at any moment Please remain seated We'll resume our journey shortly Thank you Please remain seated. Your vehicle will begin moving immediately. Remain seated, please. Your journey is resuming now.
5: But there's a really good reason that we're on the outside of the apartment, because there is one effect that could not be pulled off unless we we're on the outside of the apartment. So. That's right. So, uh, we have arrived, uh, at the, at our narrator's home in Nova City, and we, uh, what we have talked about before is how this this ride is kind of a sequel to the Carousel of Progress, but set in, you know, 2076 instead of 1976. And, and and that is indeed what it is. So the characters that we see in this room are supposed to be the mother and the father from the Carousel of Progress. And they have a dog, like in the Carousel of Progress. Uh, so we're... We Just are, so
0: you know the the official cast guy that I have here does say that they're a matured married couple.
5: Okay. Well, they are. They are a little bit older. That's, exactly. That's they for are. sure. Um, Dad is playing the symph symphasizer, which is a portmanteau of symphony and synthesizer. It's an instrument that is similar to a theremin and that you don't have to touch the keys. Um, but the system according to the documentation that we have instead of use the theremin uses uh, like electronics or the like a resistance between you and wires in order to do this. Uh, this instrument, uh, supposedly uses body heat to trigger the notes. Oh, um, okay. So that's a little different. Uh, and, and on each side of the father, this is something that I had to, like, I stared at this and I stared at it and then I finally like, Oh, now I know what that is. And either side of them are these kind of like clear lucite panels with these kind of like blue rectangles inside of them. Yeah. And those were supposed to be the flat panel speakers for uh-huh. the for his instruments that actually made the sound and I realized like oh yeah the that flat panel stuff was like brand new technology in the early 1980s that's right uh, yeah. it was super expensive uh very rare and uh, if you guys are out at flea markets, look for a pair of JVC FS100 speakers if you ever want to try a flat panel speaker for yourself because that was like the one that actually made it to manufacturing back then. Uh, I've read that it doesn't have any bass, but the mids and trebles are supposed to be fantastic. And the weird thing is it seems to be omnidirectional. So oh, wow. no matter where you're standing in the room around the speaker, it's like you get the, a really good sound. So,
0: so Brian, that's your, that's your uh, you know, your goal there. Let's see if you can find one. Of those yeah, I
4: players. usually don't search for stereo equipment, so I'll I'll have to keep my eyes out. <laughs> you got a new you're... one.
0: That's it Look yes, for those flat antiquing. speakers. Um,
5: <laughs> and Rover is is sitting watching and you know barking a little bit, just yep. like he does on the carousel. Of Progress. Um, Mom is back in the room a little deeper. She's on the couch in the main section and she's talking to her daughter on a holographic screen. And that's why we're outside because this is a classic Pepper's Ghost effect. And the angled windows that were passing allow for the reflection of the girl. Because if you were to stand inside of the room, there would be no person inside of the That's little right. oval screen <laughs> sitting there. And I can tell you that firsthand that it's true. Plus, you actually get an opportunity as you're around the corner to see that see the same location and there's nothing there. And you're like, what the...
0: That was one of the interesting, I don't want to call it a mistake, but it, it, it's interesting that it worked out that way. Yeah. That they may have been able to do it differently. For sure. Um, we should know that it's, it's sunset, too. And in the background, you see some of the special effects of uh, how in the very beginning, when we we're talking about future port, you mentioned uh, a specific mode of transportation. And you I forget what it was like, a, a hover train or something like that. And you see that kind of fly through their background. And they're in what they call the urban habitat here.
3: Isn't it something? send a city kid to college for seven years and what happens? She becomes a farmer. Oh, I think agricultural engineer is a little more like it. Okay, but me, I'll take the city. Yes, it's always exciting. But hey, with today's transportation, we're just minutes away from our kids.
0: Um, Mom's in this nice, she's just kicked back. She, uh, You know, grandma just looks looks comfortable. Yeah, she's there. got that super fashionable
5: blue, jump, blue jumpsuit well, on. You-
0: Somebody we know got to sit with her, Yeah, too, so. uh-huh.
5: Yeah, Spike Tripper yeah. sat with her. Now, what's funny is she has a lot of these, this is one of those, like, we talk about Disney details all the time. Yeah. She has got on a wedding band, an engagement ring, and a cocktail ring. And wow. as we step through the ride, it's like each one of these characters has a relationship, and some wear wedding bands, and some don't wear wedding bands, and it's all part of their personal story. It's, it's amazing because, I mean,
0: it, it, she's a good what?
5: oh 30, 25 30 feet away from
0: you at yeah that point? i
5: don't know if you'd ever see it same thing dad has on a wedding band you know just to show that thing there and they're very specific like when those characters appear and yeah. in the holographic thing at the end it's like they have on their appropriate jewelry that's
0: crazy so that's crazy. well her hand is in a very prominent position there put pushed up on the side. yeah <laughs> so, which is neat. um so, yeah, definitely one of the most interesting scenes. And I, I um, what's really neat is I think that the scene continues in the transition um, and actually is listed as a separate scene, which is the urban habitat outdoor garden where we get treated to some of the very first um, visions of, of plants of the future. And also, this is where you mentioned, as you come through the, the the urban garden, you look through and you can see that the daughter is not standing there. Right. Now, we should mention how that, the daughter is standing in a prominent location, which we're going to see very soon too. Yes, yes. Uh, and and I think until you went on the ride multiple times, you may not have picked up on it that it was the mother talking to her out at Mesa Verde with the harvesters behind her. Yeah, and they—I'll um,
5: tell you—there's all of these places in this ride where they do these kind of like character handoffs, either via yeah. screens or like where they're they're giving you a preview of where you're going to go. And some of the important things that you're going to see, I have to say, I, it didn't occur to me during the course of writing it, but looking at it now that we've done this research, I'm I'm really even more impressed, but about how the whole thing was pulled together. And that daughter is amazing. I mean, that's the tiniest little audio animatronic. She's, if you've ever been on the Haunted Mansion, if you're familiar with the little Leota character at the end, she's literally that tall. So and she's moving
0: and everything. She's that's moving.
5: Her head goes back and forth. She's her arm goes up and down. Her body shifts left and right. It's fantastic.
0: It's that's, that's pretty cool. amazing.
5: So yeah, so we'll go out onto the patio, and and on the patio, I want to step out and just
0: sit there. Yeah, don't you? I just want. I just want to. And and the vertical gardens. Uh, it, it's like what you were seeing over at the land. If you yeah. saw it, you all of a sudden started to connect things here, right? You had almost. The trans, not the Center What was the end of the uh, world? of Emotion, where you had the f- city of the future. Uh,
5: oh yeah, it was. I think it was just called the city of the future.
0: So if, whatever. Yeah. You have that here in a, in a mural with the. With, you know, you're starting to really. We, we mentioned in 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 part one how this pavilion really pulled and tugged on all the different areas, and we're going to see it again later with space and, and 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 undersea.
5: Well, and they had the same consultants in this in this case too uh brian what was the gentleman that consulted on the land uh, from the university carl of arizona Hodges. yes so carl hodges right. was also so the, there was an imagineer um who worked on i don't know what else he did but like in particular he worked on all of these different fruits and plants his, his name was alex taylor um i don't know if he did other things on the ride i'm desperately have been trying to talk to him for the longest time but he developed all the plants and he would come up with ideas and then he would take him to Carl Hodges and his team and say, like, what do you think about this? And they're like, yeah, that exists. And he would go back and he would try to come up with some more plants. <laughs> and he just went back and forth and uh, Carl Hodges talked to him about uh, genetic engineering and what you could do with it. And he just let his imagination go wild. And, I, you know, I always think of, on this ride of, of the Mesa Verde scene of being the big agricultural scene. But here on out on the porch yeah there's a whole agricultural scene here yeah that's gonna lead us to mesa verde later um so they have um hydroponic and aeroponic aeroponic gardens out there they're growing carrots turnips rutabaga lettuce and cabbage pepcumbers which is a hybrid of a pepper and a cucumber. Um, I'm not sure why you would seedless. want to put those I, together. I, I, want the, but, I want the seedless yeah. variety if you've got them. Um, they've got squash and there's green beans all growing in hydroponic gardens here, and what a nice transition from city to garden, and then finally once we get out of here, you know, to Mesa Verde where they're doing even more agriculture. So it's like they they really snuck in a yeah. super clean transition. And as you talked about, um, from here you can see all the lighting effects that are going on on the background painting, yeah. to, to bring it to life. So, like you said, the uh, the maglev train, you can see that going by. There's elevators going up and down in the buildings just by like shining a light and moving the light up and down on and on the paintings. There's like some some shimmery stuff at one of the like stations. It's it's really cool how
4: well there's that's a lot done. of
5: depth there.
0: Yeah, and I think the only other city painting that is around where you could see this level of detail is next time you're on, if you go on the boat ride in Mexico, um, and in the last scene, instead of looking at uh, the three caballeros, look to your right and look at the building painted there. I am fascinated how, through just little brush strokes, they have... Uh, replicated, you know, interiors of apartments and office buildings. Same concept here, you know, lit with a little uh, fluorescent paint and like how said, a couple little lights shining here and there, going up and down. Um, you know, that's one of the only remaining type of, of art, art, artwork that you can see that replicates that yeah. this, that well.
5: Really, really um, well done. And one yeah. of the there's a train at a station that has a I think it's G K three on it and that's a <laughs> nod to like gil kepler like he got oh. his initials on the train so that's little cool. little easter egg there yep so should we uh should we head to the desert
0: let's head to the desert we go through a little transition
3: look at that will you a few years ago this was all barren desert no crops no irrigation quite a transformation
0: so we've kind of got a, a little mini scene here in the transition. We've got a roadrunner looking off uh, into the distance and his little uh, little tails flipping up up and around. But uh, Now, do you want to guess where that roadrunner came from? Because uh, why would they have a roadrunner
5: just sitting around? Or would they make a roadrunner just for Horizons?
0: No, they wouldn't. It had to come from somewhere. Uh, Nature's Wonderland. Yes! Right. Oh. Yes. All right, cool. I got it right. <laughs> where else would it come from? <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, but that really, it's its neat because you're not in that whole scene yet. You're you are starting to take it in and, and look at it. Um, and it's just adding to the, the realism of, of what you're about to see. Um, and this scene is probably the most remembered uh, for a specific reason we'll talk about in a moment. But um, let's set the scene. We have an incredible use of force perspective here, right? Um, we are Absolutely. in Mesa Verde, which is a desert habitat. Um, we've been able to uh, engineer c- citrus groves, and we are harvesting with special harvesters that go down the groves and uh, can lift, pick, and then lift all of the produce up into these helium filled um, canisters, if you will, that I assume would then be picked up or would fly off. Um, and what's great is that there's animations going on, and, and again, the use of force perspective here is, is unbelievable. Um, and there's a storm brewing, I believe we have to bring the harvesters in,
5: yeah, there's a it's such a neat little set. So, as you said, and this is one of those things like I went back and i, I like I stared at these pictures and some of the video over and over again. So the first thing when you hit the scene, there's this little satellite dish mm-hmm. and it's it says agro waveline on it. So that's how she's communicating with the harvesters through. This wireless it's thing. It's Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's more microwave technology. Yeah. So, so I think the idea is like this: one person is controlling all of this, you know, machinery, and removing all the drudgery of of getting fruits and stuff uh, because it's all automated now. Uh, and the reason that that can happen is because of genetic engineering. Uh, because what they have done is they have planted alternating rows of bananas which is a hybrid of pineapples and bananas.
0: The, the, the drink concoctions that can come out of this.
5: Are yes. awesome. And then loranges, which is a elongated orange, genetically engineered to only grow on the outside of the branches of the trees. So that way these machines can pick them effectively. And with this force perspective set, it's like there's little... Oranges and bananas on yep. these little tiny trees, and they get smaller and smaller as it goes to the back of the room, and it's just fascinating watching yeah.
0: all that go. And they're and the harvesters are the, the 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 containers of the fruit are going up and down, up and down. The, yep. Yeah, and the front one doesn't have a harvester; it hasn't come in yet, um, which is really neat. And we mentioned in a tweet, if you're uh, watching our tweet when we um, recorded this uh, the other night. Um, we did tweet out about a drink that I had come up with to kind of commemorate the laranges. So I did send all the mixed ingredients to Hal, Brian, and JT. I made one for myself tonight. It's a favorite drink of of, uh, my wife, actually. She loves this one that I came up with. Um, But uh, JT, are you done with yours? You're already through? It is an adult beverage. Uh, I'm doing
2: good. I still have some left in my hoopty-doo boot here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> did you make the fulls for you? Or no, did you I, it I it split Kelly? it up. The, the, this, you split up. Yeah, with Kelly, this was yeah. a
2: good size with ice. Good size glass here. So,
0: and how did you share as well? I did. I did share. Yeah. It. So, uh, and I don't know if Brian. No, did Brian? I did just you make it the tonight? mandarin orange uh,
2: seltzer?
4: tonight okay
0: so he'll he'll make that another night so we'll post that recipe it's it's citrus heavy uh but uh it's i think it comes out pretty good i mean the trick is though you got to have fresh oranges otherwise it just doesn't taste as good No, you can't use any of that those that orange concentrate it's just (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) so all the orange
2: references at epcot 35 the smell the drink you told us is this the spot on the ride that everybody connects it to
0: this is it. This, this is, is it. where the scent cannon was somewhere as you came into the room. And Actually,
2: uh, yeah,
5: it was as you made that transition into the room. Because I actually it... got hit by it one day. <laughs> it was unlike the one at, at Spaceship Earth, which is kind of behind you. Yeah. This one is actually facing you. We were riding through and I heard this... And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, I've (laughs) just been orange.
0: Too much orange. (laughs) So I I also too, because this has been such an attraction, the scent and everybody says, oh, that brings me back to Horizons and everything. You used to be able to buy the orange scent from a
5: company called Felton International. Uh, They were in uh, California. Actually, they have been acquired by another company. Mm. And uh, last month, I inquired to see whether we could get some of their orange fragrance. For blah. last month, I uh, inquired to see if we could still purchase the orange fragrance scent, uh, which is number R twenty five thirty four. And I was told that they no Whoa. longer make it. So I was, I was really hoping for our event. It's like I could have got a batch of this and made a smellitzer, and we could have hit the crowd with that smell one more time. So.
2: If if you have a canister of R, what was it? <laughs> just sitting on R twenty five thirty four. Was that made specifically for Disney or
5: No, so this company is uh they make fragrances for not just Disney but for uh anybody that wants to use, you know, fragrances uh, as a selling feature. So they sell it to a lot of retail. Um if if you're familiar with like how on Main Street they pump out the smell of mm-hmm. like chocolate chip cookies. Yep. It's like they do uh at, I've been at some Starbucks locations where they actually have like a fake scent of coffee that they waft out-huh and and so that's what this company does. It's like they create smell products uh for commercial and I think also some home
2: systems interesting okay there's i, I was watching one too they they do like nursing homes to get uh you know elderly who don't mm. want to eat, they'll pump out the smell of you know apple pie or something to spark the appetite oh but nice um. So interesting. So somebody very well might have a canister sitting on a shelf. They just didn't, did never fire. That's up, right. So there could
5: be some hanging out somewhere. And I assume it must be oil-based or something. So it's pr- it could still be good. Just send it our
0: way. So yes, orange scent. Um, in fact, one of our most famous videos that we released years ago. The title of the article was "Go sniff an orange and watch this." <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's definitely got uh, got a lot of hits off of that. That that title so um so uh we we meet up with the daughter there how um right we do what 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 i always thought was funny is that the mother was talking to her in the previous scene but she's since hung up on her she's now talking to the guy in the next scene
5: yeah well (laughs) with that weather storm coming in he's well that's the thing he probably had to break in
0: he did he did yeah
5: because there's a storm coming as if all that sophisticated technology that's right. that she has wouldn't been able to figure that in fact i think she makes some she makes some sort of crack about how the harvester knew that it was raining that's right like it was so obvious but yeah you can see a storm there's all kinds of you can see a storm rolling in there uh there are um, projections of other harvesters flying around yep. up in the air as well as clouds so again there's a lot of sort of active stuff going on um sh- she's hanging out in her station she's got on a really fetching yellow jumpsuit uh, she has a weird pair of opaque sunglasses on her head, and she's wearing a scarf. And the amount of characters that wear scarves and ascots in this show <laughs> is mind-boggling. I don't know if that's a John Hench thing or what well, the deal they're, is. But... They're
0: friends with Freddie on Scooby-Doo. So. Yeah,
5: I guess. Uh, and this is a really weird one. According to the Horizons costuming guide, she is wearing a fanny pad. Now, I don't know if that means... <laughs> That she has something to make her butt look bigger, but in the UK, that's slang for a sanitary napkin. And what an <laughs> odd choice <laughs> to to, yeah. to outfit a character with! It's like, well, it's real important for a character that it's that time of the month.
0: I I'm I'm gonna say that it is probably the the false posterior because I mean I'm I'm looking at this because it is probably one of the only audio animatronics I can think of where her rear end is actually. <laughs> I don't want to say featured, but it is. She's there. got a big booty. She's yeah. Baby's got she back. Got, well, there's she a has chair an hourglass there. shape. Maybe
2: she has a pad in there because she sits for 48 hours a day because it's the future. Just talking to robots. Yes, that's yeah. it. If she doesn't don't get know. up. She. I
0: don't know. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the CRT units or her display screen. So, so what we have to remember here is that the future wasn't predicting flat screens. All, all. They, they, there are certain things that they couldn't do. So they have these 14 inch crts on angles to try to minimize their um hide the tubes right and hide the mechanics and and the electronics um and and she's got close-up views of the harvesters picking up fruit and she's obviously we talked about one is is the gentleman in the next scene back at home um which was neat but uh there were certain things where you just couldn't predict the flat screen we get them to them in a little bit we get to some flat screens but here i think the scene, scene just didn't lend in the design to having that
5: yeah. I mean, they were kind of integrated into the in into the desktop. Yeah. So that could explain it. I also thought it was neat. So the the um, the video is actually like a real television. Yeah. Uh, but the other TVs showing the weren't screens at all. They were actually and they weren't even films. It was actually a uh, like a large transparency. And then the transparency would be moved back and forth in front of the <laughs> lens, to make it look like a camera was panning back and forth across the the field. Which is brilliant. So, it could have
0: just been on two rolls, right, and the just the yeah, motor turning a really back and forth. S- Super simple, simple little
5: low tech thing, and it really brought it to life. Yep. But like, but uh, dependable, cheap. Yep. yeah no you know no project if a bulb goes out it's like the bulb just went out it does you don't get like the samsung logo because <laughs> the thing stopped working like we've all seen yeah, now that's at right the parks. so that's right yeah very cool is and cool. Uh, and sitting on the desk on the so the screens are on one side and then on the other side closer to the pegasus which is the thing that we'll talk about in a minute is a bin and it's got samples of flavor grapes and bananas and there's a little tag on each one of them that has the crop ID number, the yield of that crop, the latitude and longitude of the plant and a DNA code. Wow. So we can tell by this that like that they were taking care of like they were making genetically modified versions of these plants and then tracking each one of them for quality. So that way they could go back and like, hey, this is a really good strain. Let's propagate that strain or not propagate this other strain. So. The science going on here is really crazy.
0: And and this is stuff that if we didn't have the documentation and the up-close photos of these things, this is lost. But this really demonstrates, and we'll talk a little bit about the menu and the sea base and all that, how much thought was put into this. And like you said, linking the scenes and telling the story in such a detailed fashion, even if you didn't see it, it's as if the imagineer said, it needs to be there so I feel complete that I've told the story. Right? It's like an artist putting a little extra line because nobody would notice right
5: well and that's what lends the credibility and the realism to this yeah you know the research again the research that was done behind all of this uh before it was done and we have to thank Hoot Gibson for coming in and taking all of these close-up photographs of things because without that it's like we would have we wouldn't we wouldn't know half of it we legitimately would not know half of this stuff because it was all 20 feet away and if you do not know who
0: Hoot Gibson is part three uh, legacy. I'm, we'll, we'll definitely be. And, and, and be we have to
4: thank them. Disney for taking four years to actually close the ride after they said they were closing the ride. we so <laughs> were like, boy, we got to get all this stuff on tape.
1: Yeah, That's right.
5: If they just would have had a dessert party there it's like we could have had a bunch of people take a ton of pictures right. but they didn't do that back then that's so right that's right did the next best thing we should oh, re- also oh, go ahead. todd you'll like this so on the desk yeah the last item on the desk is a freshly picked orange oh. and a glass of orange juice
0: i would love to have orange juice but I, it, from what my you know i originally thought it was a lime orange concoction a lot of people but it sounds like it's just a long orange. I'm assuming it's gonna just taste like orange juice, but it's probably gonna taste, like, but probably better because it's genetically engineered. Well, and also, how how <laughs> do you juice it? All my juicers won't work. It's a long orange, right? You know, now I need a special reamer. Ugh.
5: There's one ad we have where it says that you would just stick a straw in right in it and drink it straight out of the thing. I don't know if that's true or not, but so back back to the dad on the video phone. Uh, so he we know we know this dad. Yeah. This is very. This is a very famous dad within Disney circles, even though his voice is dubbed. We have we have seen this dad before, several times. Do you know who? Do you know who the dad there is? No, Todd. I've seen this perplexed. Yeah, I'm.
0: I'm, I know I have. It's the beard is throwing me off. I think. And it's probably
5: it's probably because they didn't use his voice for some reason. They recorded all the dialogue and then brought him in had him lip sync to the dialogue and then had the audio animatronic character made to resemble him. It's third officer Collins and captain Debo himself, Pete Renaday. Really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So they called him up and said, Hey, we need somebody (laughs) for this. Come in here and learn this dialogue and lip sync it. And they, they shot his video of that and then went and took reference photos of him and sculpted him up to be the dad that's crazy in in the next scene that's nuts but
0: they didn't use his voice which is the most distinctive that is yeah that's very odd we come around the corner uh after you you can see him on the video and the glass of orange juice there and there's some steps going up to a landing platform and we come to the pegasus hover lift which is a mode of transportation in the future it's uh Uh, kind of a delta wing shaped personal aircraft with three ducted fans one in each side of the delta wing and one in the nose and i um uh, from what we understand you would get in this and you'd turn these fans on and you would uh, hover up and apparently propel yourself forward landing skiffs would go up and you could buzz around your crops if you needed to tend to one of the harvesters a nice quick way to jump out there I, i don't know if i'd really want to in one during a storm that doesn't seem to be any canopy or cover, but um, the hover you had to wear a weird motorcycle helmet, that's right, <laughs> you <laughs> did like, yeah. And the um, you know, what's really neat about this is that you you come you see it from a distance come around the corner, and then you're going down because again, remember, we came to we have to come down from the OmniMax theaters now and get back to the level of where we got on the ride to get off. And um, what's really neat is that the 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 blades of of the hover lift are spinning. And, and while you, you can kind of see them, the, there's a light on the top, which is projecting down. You can see these shadows moving. Um, the vehicle after the, the attraction closed, I know that vehicle was, was out at the back lot at MGM. It's been the wood prototype has been spotted in the back lot, um, commissary or whatever it's called. It's, I think, I think it's now over in Euro Disney or something. It's yeah. Paris so the, something?
5: so the, so what is at Disney MGM? So if you go to the back lot express, uh, restaurant right up on top of a uh, a cage or something right yeah like a thing is the fiberglass mold that was used to uh to make the thing so that's how they would duplicate it is like they sculpted it made a mold around it and then they would fill it up with fiberglass and then pull so if you got that you could make your own so uh Someday when nobody's looking, it's like, we need to go get that so we can start making Pegasus as quick as we can. Or Pegasi, I'm not sure what the point is. Yeah, Pegasus is.
4: So is the one on display at the Disney Studios Paris tour made from that mold? Or is it the actual set
5: piece from the ride? That is the actual set piece from
2: the ride. They took it all the way to Paris? They
5: did. And they, uh, they took one of the solo subs from the undersea city there, too.
0: Yep. So after we go past the Pegasus Hoverlift by the way which we have a shirt for Pegasus Hoverlift Systems uh t-shirt now i know what that shirt shop. means now you know what it means that's right <laughs> um we come to another transition scene here as we go around the corner we come through a rocky craggy area there's a little pond with a waterfall and there's a cat standing there looking down into the water with its paw kind of ready to slap something and every now and then a little fish would whoop jump out of the water and the cat would try and he would look and look it was a neat little just again transition to give a little feeling to it but again this goes back to the detail no transition was really left blasé so to speak it all had something and just tied everything together really well it was believable um that this was just outside the home that we're gonna uh, we're about to see
5: yeah and man disney loves that jumping fish gag yep
0: (laughs) (laughs) they've used it a number of times rivers of america splash mountain that's right But we come to this uh, home of the future where the gentleman that we just spoke of on the craft uh, or on the um video screen is talking he's working on a birthday cake uh in this kitchen and I, i i'm i don't know if i'd be okay with the glass floors they seem like they'd get (laughs) a little dirty quickly but he isn't a a round um i would just cylindrical type maybe i don't know how many sides to this building there are very open to the the outside world and it's a kitchen right it's a kitchen yeah we'll go with the circle with a yeah circular ceiling and uh
5: the and i think the reason that the the floor is glass is because that waterfall that fed the little pool yes continues down underneath the house. So this this part of the house is actually built over a pond that, that that is fed by the waterfall. So I guess as you're standing there in the kitchen, it's like you could watch the fish go underneath you. That's and right. And whatnot.
0: It's like a Frank Lloyd Wright house of the future. So. Yeah, exactly. So let's count the link here. We started with the with the grandfather, and then obviously you see the grandmother talking to the daughter, and now the daughter is talking back to this gentleman in the home. So... We're progressing here. We've got a, a, a continued scene to scene has been linked. Um, so he's got a couple things in the refrigerator. Like I said, he's working on a cake with. Uh, yeah, sure does. The, a spaceship looks familiar again. It's the second time we've seen it in the in the film, in the, in the attraction here. Uh, and how it, correct me if I'm wrong is is the little boy is is he from Carousel oh, Progress? Because that pose you know looks what? awfully familiar. It looks like the scene oh, when you know he's standing totally to the radio. We should
5: I will double check that, but I bet you were right. Yep. That okay. totally makes sense. We'll check. Yeah, on. his face and everything. Yep, I'm gonna go with your you're probably right. Looks like that.
0: Um and what's neat about this scene too, there's a staircase off to the side before we get to this little rocky area with a with a plant hanging down. I mean again, nothing was left uncovered, nothing was left for just a wall <laughs> you know what i mean yes there's just there's nothing everything is tied together in such a seamless fashion functional and decorative
5: and the kitchen has all this stuff so there's a kind of a microwave oven that's badged as a being a laser chef Ooh. And, and they're cooking a turkey inside of that and then next to that is an ultrasonic dishwasher called a wave wash and there's little logos for for all these things on it and these are all i guess ge future appliances and this is, I never picked, like you're in and out of this scene so mm. fast. I never, when writing it, picked up on any of the dialogue, really that was going on between the dad and the mm-hmm. son. And the really, there's this whole sort of attempt at comedy. I mean, maybe it's funny. Just, I'm going to call it an attempt at comedy since you don't really get to enjoy it. Where the kid and the dad are talking and the dad will say a word and then the kid will take the word and change it and then so like he'll say he's oh, like a nice stream and he's like oh did you say ice cream and when he says that the voice activated refrigerator or freezer will open up to like <laughs> give access to the ice cream or whatever the thing is that the kid says and then the dad is chiding the son for, like doing this and it was set up so that way when the refrigerator or freezer would open up it would send out like a little puff of smoke <laughs> to be like the cold air that right, was escaping. Right. so so the dad and the kid have this whole back and forth rapport of him like basically like driving each other crazy <laughs> with this whole thing so the dad's yelled at the kid he's telling what's going on and see so, yeah, as he's in the process of making this cake that i don't know who's going to eat that cake because it's like he still has the cake <laughs> In the end, on Earth, I don't know why you would bake a cake for somebody on a space station, but there <laughs> you go. It's a holographic
0: cake. Don't forget.
5: Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, well, Davy's
0: waiting. We, we'll get to him a little bit.
5: So yeah, so there's so there's the humor. We talk about like some of the humor that we saw in the earlier scenes. That some of it was attempted. To, you know, besides the the great grandeur, there also was attempt at like family hu- humor sure. that Tom Fitzgerald brought into yep. this and and as we talked about in the last episode it's like this was the the attempt to humanize the future so it all just wasn't big and scary
0: so there's a little bit of a transition with the stairs going up and the stairs going down which takes us into what i I would call the communications room i guess i think that's what i what i read i think that's the official terminology yeah for whatever
5: reason
3: Shouldn't your granddaughter be studying instead of flirting with that beach boy? He is not a beach boy. He's studying marine biology there on the floating city.
0: And this is the uh, the first look at a, at a flat screen. This is where they had the space to be able to do a rear projection. Uh, and we have uh, two of our most famous. Amatronic and then as well as mr tom fitzgerald on the screen so how i'll let you talk a little yeah. about this because you've done some research on the on the computer and everything in this
5: i have well again thanks thanks to who gibson for getting close-up photography of this stuff so in in this scene uh <clears throat> the you know the parents are are talking about i say the grandparents who are now omniscient and can look in on everything that's going on you know everywhere uh th- through this through the entire ride are, are getting kind of annoyed because she's not doing her homework and uh so she's sitting in a chair she's got her boots off she's kind of relaxing she's talking to her her beach boy the beach boy boyfriend who lives you know on sea castle and she's ignoring her homework which is on the home computer sitting next to her and her computer actually has a logo and a model number <laughs> it's an Athene series 2500 computer. And I think I looked this up a long time ago and Athena, I think it's based on Athena, which was the goddess of knowledge mm. in uh was it Greek mythology or Roman uh so that was a really neat tie in there. Um I don't know if it's the 2500 because it was like the Atari 2600, <laughs> but or it just sounded good. But it's, she's got a little computer there, and there's these little sort of like tiny laser disks that have different content that you could play in the system uh, through there. They're like
0: compact disks. <laughs> yeah,
5: kind of like little three, three and a half inch compact disks, which, you know, 1982, that was brand new and probably a big deal. Uh, so there's all the different courses she's learning at home. It's like she's got all her little courses there. And up on the bookshelf, there's actually some, like, home video discs. So Retro WDW of 2076 is there, <laughs> like, with their home videos. Uh, and I guess they could, might be able to put those on the big screen as well as the little screen. But here's – I'm I'm going to get super duper nerdy here because they talk about how she's ignoring her homework. Up on the screen is the homework that she's ignoring, And it's a diagram of an... I'm going, boy, this is is not a good thing to say. An icosahedral borohydride ion. Wow. And what in the heck would you pick that? And I thought, this has got to be a thing. Like, with the level of detail that we have seen everywhere else through the ride, it's like, this cannot be just an arbitrary decision. There has to be something behind this. So, I... Started doing some research. So remember, this ride is being developed, 1981, 1982 to debut in 1983. In December of 1981, the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory submitted a research paper to the Journal of Molecular Spectroscopy, titled. Nuclear spin statistics of cubane and isohythedral borohy- borohydrate ions. <laughs> and reading through this document, I have absolutely no idea what any of it means. <laughs> but it goes through and says stuff like, while the nuclear spin statistics of Aphoserical symmetric tetrahedral octahedral, and several other molecules of lower symmetry are now quite well studied. This is not the case with the molecules with high symmetry, such as cubane and the isohythedral borohydrite igons. Wow. So I cannot say for sure. Sh- and, and basically, this is then a study on this particular thing. So this would have been sort of groundbreaking research in 1981. Yeah. I, I cannot say for certain that this is the exact paper that made that happen. But it is a hell of a coincidence if if it is not. No
0: kidding. Okay, no that's crazy.
5: So, yeah. So I I did some additional digging to say like, well, what's the big deal about these things? So, what what this uh, what these structures are made out of boron? They're used to create thin film electronics. So they were used in experiments to do things like cure cancer, make organic semiconductors for flat panel displays and flexible circuits. Uh, So this, at the time, was groundbreaking research that we are today starting to see some benefits from. And probably by, you know, 2076, it's like this would have been a real thing that was important for, you know, health Mm -hmm. and electronics and safety. So they they really did their homework on this one. I have to hand it to them.
0: I was going to say, this is where we get one of our real true uh transitions here this is a real hard transition because they want you to believe now that we have moved uh specifically to another physical location in a different type of habitat we're out of the city we're out of the we're out of uh mesa verde so you actually go through one of the few black spaces in all of the entire (laughs) ride dark areas uh, and we come to the opposite side of the conversation, where the Beach Boy, he's working on his sub as we saw in the other clip, um, but he is uh, now talking to the girlfriend on the other side. And
5: yeah, so where once he was a real person, now he is a robot, and where once we had a robot, it's like now we see the real person. <clears throat> we we had Corinne gooley who was the redhead in in this video, like at our event. Uh, was it two years ago now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, and she was delightful. She told us lots of stories about getting cast uh, for that role, and when they actually uh, covered her in plaster casting so they could like make a robot, make the sculpted version of her, uh, and how she met Tom Fitzgerald, and Tom Fitzgerald wouldn't do that, so they had to just take pictures of him <laughs> and do do the sculpture. Um, and in fact, she had to do it twice because the first time they broke the casting when they were when they were taking off of her she sat for like three hours under the plaster and stuff and then when they took it off of her it didn't take or some part of it broke so she had to do it again Jeez. and she she agreed to do it again so what a, what a trooper yeah uh just for this and uh yeah so we we know that lady and she's so nice super super nice it was really fun to have her uh in florida and be able to talk to her so, yep. So she's on the other end of the screen. And uh, your question was, did they have the sets built? And I, the answer is no, because if you look at the photography of uh, of that, there's some stills that were released. You can tell it's a painted backdrop. Uh, so I think they may, if they didn't put her in front of the backdrop, they shot her just on a green screen yep. or a blue screen and then superimposed the painting uh, in the background behind her. <laughs> Rather, rather than film it because i'm i'm assuming the way just timing wise they probably didn't have the sets done right yet. right so um so you'll see it's not a perfect match between the physical set that was built and the the painting there's a little bit of a difference or it's just because of the perspective was shot where we are in the cars it's like they had to invent what that background would look like behind her gotcha <laughs> yep, yep yeah makes sense um so yeah so so the beach boy is working on his sub they have a little conversation they have a little conversation he's got a little laser lock he's got to take care of that's right the laser welder yeah and it's funny to to watch the screen because where the loop point is it's like you'll actually see uh corinne kind of like move off screen and then move back onto the screen so they can hide the The cut cut. and i and i assume tom probably had a you know, had a similar thing on, on his screen where he had to like duck out of the screen and duck back into the screen right, right. to hide the splice. So, um, so that's neat to watch again. So yeah, he's, he's sitting, he's got his legs dangling over like a, a large hole in the floor. The sub is suspended. He's got solo sub number one and he's using a laser welder on it. Do you remember, was it, was there already a like little welding effect or I think the gun had a light the, on it, The right? gun
0: had a light. It was like button, the tip when he, when he was doing it. So it was zoom, like a zing. Um, mm-hmm. and he you know, he was sitting where this sub was suspended over a, an opening and he, the really neat thing here again now we're really starting to descend and what's really neat is that they put this at the right spot where we're going to go underwater right so this effect is to come into play a little bit so you are now you know you're at the surface because he's on he's not underwater yet you look down the hole you see another sub underneath him waiting to depart and then as we come down the probably the steepest Decline of the entire ride. Uh, we come down to the to the school that is getting ready to dive, and you can see the shimmering water coming up, uh, and that's where we kind of make our descent under quote unquote underwater, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, but it was really neat that they timed
5: the de- I mean, brilliantly timed yeah. the descent down like with this idea of going underwater. It's like so so smart, right? Um, and you can see out the window in his in his room, and you can see that you're above the water line at that point. And then the next floor that we go down to will be at the water line or just below the water line because it's one of those, I don't know if there's a fancy term for it. It's like what when you're in a, when you're in some sort of craft or like either under the water, it's like you can have a hole in the floor and the pressure will keep the water from coming in. Oh up. yeah, yeah. But you can jump in and out of, you yep. can get in and out of that hole.
0: Exactly. I know. Like there's, I'm sure there's a, <laughs> there's, there's I mean, some terrible. fancy way for it. There's
5: but. a fancy word for it, but, um, um so yeah, so. Uh, and it, it is interesting the way that that set is built. It's like basically a three story cylinder uh, with, as you said, with all the levels that that work its way down and you spin kind of like around this part uh, in the cars, which is really neat. Yeah. So, all right. So they have their conversation. He's always and the joke is he's always late and she's concerned that he's going to be late to uh, to the birthday party, which is coming up. So again, another like another hint of what's going to be coming up later on. We, uh, we move down uh, a little further, and uh, we can see underneath him is is the dive chamber. Uh, and we see a second sub, as you said, that's kind of like hanging out. Yep. And some dive helmets sitting on top of boxes and, and the big opening in the floor, which then would lead down uh, to the ocean level. And and that, you actually have to look, like, as you come down, it's like the floating city classroom yeah. is in front of you. You have to, like, look back. Yes, in order to see this. But it's it's really neat how he built uh, like all of these sets kind of on top of each other.
0: And there's a, a shimmering water effect. There's a, like luggage that you would put in your little C-sub and different things back there. It's it's really done well. Yeah. Um, and I should probably mention, too, it's at this point, too, in the ride, where we end the relationship of the family calling each other, right? This is where it stops, um, and it continues on without any family link Until the very end. Oh, that's
5: true. Until we get to the very end. Right.
0: So we've we've every scene up until after the sub boy has been the entire family, and now we're branching off from the family completely. Mm -hmm. So we come down to the the undersea classroom, floating city classroom. Yeah,
5: and uh, this this, uh, this is a great. I mean. There's so many great little scenes. This is another great little scene. So you have this dive class, uh, which consists of a teacher uh, and then f- three kids, and they f- for some reason they have a pet seal. Because I guess <laughs> why not? You're in a floating city. Why not have a pet seal? Right. Uh, and and they're getting sort of like a, a primer on uh, dive safety. Oh well, behind them actually, there's like a TV and it's running this the schedule of activities. At 9 30, there's senior life saving. At ten o'clock, there's a discovery dive. At eleven thirty is swim team practice. At thirteen hundred hours, there's a solo sub race. I don't think you are gonna want to miss that. And then at fourteen hundred hours, there's a junior life saving class. So I'm assuming they're probably in their discovery dive. hmm I'm not I'm not sure what the exact time is when this is going on, but they're 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 doing a basic dive safety class, which is which is really neat. And and here's uh where we get Actually, some more McGinnis's in here because George McGinnis's son, Scott, who was five years old at the time when the when the ride was done, served as the model for the boy that's being licked by the seal. Oh, really? So he's he's the one that's standing there. His sister, Shanna, who is seven, is the antsy blonde girl that's seated to the right, like that's waiting to do stuff. And then um, there's an African-American boy and his face was picked up from World of Motion. And I'm guessing that the dive master, who's Asian, was reused uh, from the face of the girl that was the robot manipulator arm person on the space station in Spaceship Earth. Oh,
0: uh, yes, yes.
5: So uh, that's what we'll have to confirm. But I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's really neat. To, you know, this is probably, you know, Epcot was the first time that we really saw like multi-ethnic uh, audio animatronics mm-hmm. for real. Uh, it was, you know, it was very white. For a long time. And uh th- you know, I think they realized, and, and I'll get into this a little bit as we go further on, it's like they really did see Epcot as a world uh attraction, and they did a really good job of trying to make sure that it was inclusive. So I it's really nice to see that um all throughout here. Yep. As we leave the classroom, we move down to the undersea resort.
3: Floating cities. They're amazing. I mean whole new industries have developed in them, and under them, mariculture. All sorts of marine mining, fuels, energy, and fun. Remember, I'm serious. Well, so am I. Floating cities have opened whole new ways for people to enjoy their lives as well as their work.
5: So the top parts of Sea Castle must be like living and uh, you know commerce, and then these lower sections are an undersea resort. So there's a really neat transition here. So we're inside of the building. And as we come around the corner, we actually move to the outside of the sea city. And suddenly you're underwater. Um, like you said, there's light effects. Oh, the of, light effects are uh, terrific.
0: Just yeah. it really looks like there's sunlight pouring down and shining yep. up. And you really get the feeling that you're in the water looking out. But what is interesting is that there's these stanchions uh, in front of you to make it believe like, you're in some in, in a tube or something like mm. that, that you're not actually underwater, but you've gone through some sort of tunnel that's allowing you to see outside. I oh, never yeah, yeah. I never understood what those stanchions were for. I'm assuming that it's part of the building and they needed to give that illu- you know, they use that to give the illusion that you were that you were in a tunnel. Uh, but the the kelp is swaying and, and you've got the, the, the sunlight f- effect through the water. It's fantastic. It's just it's really good. And you have two diners in there. They're just sitting down having a conversation and they're looking at yeah. the menu and you can see yeah, so right there's... underneath it too.
5: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Cause you're on the bottom. It's like, you can actually see underneath, uh, the, the building there. Right. And if you, you know, looked as...
0: carefully enough, you could see where that other sub was prepped. You could see the hole straight yep. through, which was, I mean, it really gave you the idea that this whole thing was, it was right there. This is yeah, it's, reachable.
5: This is real. It's real. It it very, very real. Uh, so inside the first bubble window, like you said, you see this fashionable couple having dinner. Um, and we we can tell from the photos. Actually, you can see it from the ride, but we have close-up photos, too. They're both enjoying shrimp cocktail, uh, <laughs> a glass of juice, and some glasses of water, and some hot tea. Um, so here's where we get into another connection with Epcot, I think. So he's wearing a caftan and a fez. Mm-hmm. And she has on a colorful tunic and a turban. So based on that choice of clothing, I'm guessing that that couple is supposed to be from Morocco, gotcha. which is interesting Yeah, because we talk about how, you know, Horizons is kind of like this amalgam of future world having little bits of the seas and the land. And here's a little bit of World Showcase. Tucked in uh, there. Coming in before the Moroccan pavilion even opens.
0: That's really cool.
5: So I wonder if it was a purposeful nod of of that coming. Um, interesting. Really, really interesting. And of note here, neither one of these figures is wearing a wedding band. So oh. they, are, they are either friends or dating. <laughs> gotcha. So that's this is one of the cases where they didn't show up. Uh, and then we come around to a, a middle window. The next window of three and there's an Asian woman uh, with her child looking out of a bubble window and outside of the window is a sea lion that's looking back at them, which is really, really cute. And actually, what's kind of funny is uh, the daughter is on the other side of like a safety bar, like leaning out and touching the bubble window. Yes. So I, I hope, <laughs> I hope that's really, really safe because otherwise they're in trouble.
0: The interior picture is funny, right? She's just climbed up on it. The mother's not concerned at all that she's
5: yeah. <laughs> she's... Which is, I mean, let's face it; it's that's the way that's the way it is in real life. Exactly. Nobody cares. I'm gonna go out. Uh, so, and I'm wondering here if um, if these sculpts might have come from Meet the World. Oh. Uh, because we really didn't have any asian characters at all except for one pirate in pirates of the caribbean up sure. at this point so it would have been really cost effective uh because that was being done at the same time to be able to pull faces and things from there without having to do custom sculpts although they did an awful lot of custom sculpture uh in this ride there's a whole lot of stuff right um, she she does have a wedding ring so she is she is married uh and she also has a purse which is i don't know if there's any other audio animatronic character that i know of that ever had a purse <laughs> so <laughs> and then uh we come around to the third window yep. and there's a gentleman dining alone and he's the guy that has the menu. he's the one
0: with the menu yeah yeah he's the one with the menu and which is a loose a G E GE lucite menu i believe <laughs> nice.
5: yeah and it's 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 kind of interesting this, this is literally one of these things. It's like, you would n- never see this from the ride. It's like, and why this level of detail was put into this prop, I don't know. Um, so it's transparent plastic. It's got, you know, like silk screen words on it. It's all Greek text. And we'll put a picture of this in the show notes so you can see it. Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And next to there's like a little logo sort of for the restaurant up at the top, and in one place there's like some a clip art picture of a lobster, you know, because it's a seafood restaurant. I'm sure under under the sea you can probably just (laughs) look out (laughs) out of the window, just like the coral reef. It's like you can look out of the window and say, "Give me that, yeah, I
0: (laughs) I want that one of those."
5: Yeah, Um, but next to each one of the selections is like a little button. So, and then next to the buttons are kind of like these this printed circuit panel. Kind of a look, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was very high tech, you know, for 1981 to see like, oh, here's text and a printer. Look, it's a computer because you can see <laughs> there's like some printed circuit stuff there. So the idea is that you would push the button in order to make your selections a, uh, of what you're going to eat. It's like an iPad menu. It is. It's like, and what's really funny is down at the bottom is like a little lcd display Mm -hmm. or like a fake lcd with the total with the the subtotal of what you've ordered look at that so the gentleman has ordered 49 dollars 73 worth of food at at the time that we see it so i'm guessing in the 21st century that's probably just a coke i don't know yeah it might
0: have been (laughs) it's got a Um, great logo up there too with the waves
5: it does and like a setting sun yeah Yeah, it's very which is really neat
0: um, and I, I, like you said the detail to nobody this is just somebody who just had fun like i'm gonna do this you know mm-hmm. a- and there's where some of your 71 million dollars was spent you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're wondering that thing in itself
5: probably cost a thousand dollars who knows right right to do something custom like that back then um now i think uh this figure uh a duplicate of, of him, I believe, ends up on the Global Clipper in Dream Flight. So instead oh, yeah. of holding a newspaper, instead of holding a menu, he holds a newspaper. Yep. So I I, th- I think we end up seeing this guy again later <clears> on. <throat> uh, and as we as we bottom out, um, besides the solo sub number seven that we can uh, that you talked about being able to see, yep. There's also a few sea creatures down there. There's an octopus, a giant grouper. Or sea bass, as, as Captain Nemo told us. Yep. Uh, and a sea turtle. And and those are all copied from the submarine voyage and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So that's cool. It's like, let's, let's use the sea animals we have.
0: And again, that's a little m- miniature transition till you get to this next scene um, where you're looking out at these floating cities. And this is where you get your idea of what these floating cities actually look like.
3: There's always been something sort of mysterious about our oceans. We knew they were filled with valuable gifts for us. Yeah, water and seaweed. Very funny. But seawater has become an excellent source of energy, as well as being valuable for desert irrigation. Seaweed. Kelp is a tremendous source of low-cost fuel. Oh, we found lots of good things under our oceans. And don't forget space. We found lots of good things out there, too.
0: Bring you around the corner, and again, you're still supposedly in this tunnel, and you're looking out in the sea, and the school... class that you saw the teacher and the three students swim by and they're talking about their scuba lesson and in the background are parts of these other floating cities and you see the little bubbles that you just went around i mean it's a brilliant use of storytelling to say oh now i get it that's what we just went around we see now we see the big picture rather than showing the big picture first and then trying to describe the detail they reversed it which is brilliant (laughs) All right. So after we see the dive class go
5: by and they're having a good time, it's like, we, it's time for a little industry undersea because we can't enough of this fun. That's right. Let's, let's get some, commerce do some harvesting. Here. That's right. So, uh, <clears throat> next, next to the station is this kind of large area underwater that you look out on and you see two robots off in the distance. One is a manipulator sub. It's got arms that can kind of pick up stuff and the other one is a vacuum binder and it's it has this little effect where there's rocks that go around and around and the idea is there's a long tube that goes up to the ocean surface and like it would find a rock on the ocean floor and then like suck it up the tube and then they could mine it for whatever's inside of that.
0: It's really it's it's almost like the dredging that they do, you know, in the Bering Strait or so the Bering Sea, oh, yeah. they do that dredging for for gold. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. similar. Not not, but you know, giant vacuum. So
5: could very well be the same thing. Yep. Uh, and there's there's as we have saw with some of the other scenes, it's like there's some projections on the back wall of other versions of these subs, like going up and down and doing their work. So it's a little bit more active, and we've got all the the uh, you know the wave effects going on and, and i just happened to look at a picture and i noticed uh now the living seas didn't open until 1986 correct is that right yep but in this scene there are little uh tube vents and around those vents are those creatures the tube worms that we, yeah the tube worms that we saw in the living seas so we have another scientific connection That's to so it, cool. another epcot pavilion that hasn't happened yet yeah, like this horizons has got it all. You could do it's something. It's got everything.
0: Yeah. I mean, we could do something with that seaweed too.
5: Yeah, we could do something with that seaweed. I thought you meant kelp. No seaweed. <laughs> seaweed. No. <laughs> so we have we're under sea, and there's still one more place that we have to go. We have to
0: blast off, and I don't know. I I, I get the transition that they did here. It's not easy to take yourself from you know couple fathoms below <laughs> and then get yourself up into space so we go into a transition room here which is just kind of a star field but there was supposed to be something there tell us
5: to do the transition except it didn't work oh so so you're undersea and then and then once we get to the space station we're going to see a, a different ship up there uh the spaceships that were going to be used in the space section originally had a different design um they were more angular and apparently John Hench didn't like them. So George McGinnis is like, well, I'll just take this design from the C sub and kind of use that to make a spaceship for the for the space thing. And once they did that, they got the idea of like, oh, what if we could do a transition of the sub turning into a spaceship? And that's what was supposed to be in this kind of no man's land between the Starfield and underwater. Ah. So there was going to be a projection of the, of Tom's solo sub going off and halfway through there, it was going to change from the sub to the spaceship. And then it was going to go right up and into the middle of the projection of the rotating space station. Gotcha. Um, and they demoed the effect in imaginary and it worked. And once they actually got on site and set it up, for some reason it was shaking or something it just didn't work out the way they expected it to so they just didn't use that effect there
0: 71 million dollars and we can't steady a projector (laughs) we can't get the projector
5: (laughs) and they never went back later on to go like oh let's try to fix it just cover it with tape we'll be fine it it was the yeti of 1983 Right. right
0: so we come into this room and it's the rotating space station and we finally see it right after three different two, two other different views of it. And it's beautiful.
5: And yeah. there's actually, a, there's a series of, this is really so well done. There's a series of space stations painted on the back wall amongst these, you know, backlit, maybe fiber optic stars, maybe just pinholes and mm. black curtain. I don't know. Um, and a couple of them are just still paintings, just, you know, flat paintings, but as you get to the bigger one, it's a projection with uh, the rotating, like the
0: center ball section rotating, and it's a rear projection, so the cutout is perfect. It's super, super crisp. So it really, really sets yeah. It out. And if you take a pic, if you take
5: a flash picture, which I have, it's like you literally just see this outline of the space station and the black right behind <laughs> it, which is neat. Uh, and and then that though, like that's not all. <laughs> that's just the beginning of it. It's like there's also some you're approaching the space station that you're going to go into, and it's under construction, right? Partially, and you see uh, this uh, GE badged, like little craft with arms and a bubble top with a woman inside, uh, putting together like sort of a what would you call it? A uh, it's a truss, yeah, yeah, it's like a truss st- system with a with an astronaut. Yep. and they're just having this conversation back and forth. About stuff <laughs> uh, as they put this together. And this is where uh, and, some
0: of the greatest music is, too, that is really kind of triumphant of of space at this point, too. I think it really sets the tone of, of you know, where you are.
5: Right. And again, and now we have, like, a completely different theme, too. It's like there was enough of a space uh, of a transition between the last song and these songs that, like, we have another
0: song now, I believe. Right. Um, oh, the the woman the woman is it's very reminiscent of the control in Spaceship Earth that used to be there too at the descent where the one person was in the tower oh yeah talking yeah, yeah. and controlling so kind of a, a neat little thing there
5: yeah lots lots of just just a neat little scene and you just kind of glide glide past this very much even in Spaceship Earth is like when you used to be able to glide past the astronauts that were working on stuff yeah uh, before they took them out so uh, another little nod to you know another Epcot thing so uh, so you see these guys and then um, So these, (laughs) these space stations, if you've ever seen 2001, a space odyssey or the mission to Mars movie, not the one that, uh, not the one that was the theme park attraction, but the one with Gary Sinise and those folks, you may be familiar with the idea of like a centrifugal space station. So that way, if it's rotating, you know, the gravity holds you against the walls of it as it's rotating. And then you you have an artificial gravity field. Right. And that's the kind of space station that we're dealing with here. So there's kind of like a a tube that runs up the center of it, which would be a zero gravity uh, area. So you could do, you know, commerce and stuff there. Uh, But then on the outside is this giant ball and giant. I mean, this would be big enough that you could build, you know, an entire city inside of this sphere uh, and the sphere is rotating and there's an artificial gravity field in there. And I think that's important because for the majority of our trip through the space station, we're going to go down the center of the core and experience zero gravity. Uh, so that that kind of explains like why we're, we're
0: going to be seeing what we're seeing. And the, the airlock is another great transition here. This one is perfect. You're entering into it.
3: Space colonies are out of this world. Let's take a quick look around.
0: How many times I ride that? Not really even pick up on it that you were entering. It. There was so much of these little little details, you know. Yep. And they're throwing in front of you a, another spaceship in an airlock just as soon as you enter. So you think you would get the <laughs> you would yeah. get the idea, right? <laughs> like, uh, here, look what we're doing, you know?
5: Yeah, and uh, and not only like now another thing is like so that that piece of the airlock that we see in front of that ship yeah we see in the end movie yes if you pick it and it's like so they actually again it's all brought together it's yep. like that thing that, that you saw try a trifold
0: going, opening door yeah
5: yeah you're gonna see it again yep <laughs> um so you you see uh so as we're talking about it's like as, as you come through it's like you see the what is badged as the century three intercolony ship with a little recharger arm and the century three there is a nod to the previous name of horizons that we talked about century yeah. three so that the name lived on there uh and this ship is basically kind of cut from the same cloth as the solo sub it's very similar mm-hmm. uh, as we talked about as you the idea that they were trying to use there but it's just neat because you're just gliding along and all of a sudden they're like oh look there's a little you know hot rod spaceship sitting there charging <laughs> and uh i think the couple is talking to us during this time so there's really not anything driving the story forward here just just neat little transition to get us like into the idea of being inside of the space station right
0: so how after we come through the airlock and we we see that little ship and and and, uh docking and charging we kind of get an interesting view that we're coming through the center of the space station
3: now there's the new frontier our son and his family wouldn't live anywhere else hey maybe you and i ought to move up here oh what a wonderful idea
0: through a projection The land below us and the living space below us is rotating around us, creating that artificial gravity. And this is done through a number of windows, so to speak, that you're looking down. Um, All those other views that we've seen of these types of fictional futuristic cities have have never been from this perspective before. So it's kind of a neat, refreshing vantage point. It really is. And this this hallway is
5: like eight to ten feet long. Yeah. So you get a good chance to really kind of drink this in. Uh, and it's it's really neat to see, you know, the cityscapes with the parks and the houses and everything go by you. And, the, and there's even a Disneyland in there, no. which I <laughs> would recognize because you could see the Space Mountain. That's cool. Yeah, so you could have visited, you know, Bravosenturi Space Ma- or Bravosenturi Disneyland on your trip there if you so choose to. That's. Cool. It was so neat, and I'm trying to find out. Um, I, i've seen some conflicting stuff whether they this was just paintings or they actually built a model for this so I, we need to do a little bit more research before the next i will do some more research for the next show to see how this was accomplished whether it was done with you know photography of models or from was a photography of a painting sure so but it's a really really cool scene yeah and uh and you know i think at that point the The narrator's talking about moving up there, so you could really get a feel for what it would be like. Uh, It's really nifty.
3: Now there's my speed. Sports and exercise in zero gravity. It looks like fun. It is once you get the hang of it.
5: Then we move a little bit further. And, you know, GE was also with the health industry. It's like they had um, all kinds of technology, MRIs. They were just starting to do MRIs at this time um so yep. they were on the you know on the cusp of a lot of health breakthroughs and, and they have a whole health technology business so they wanted to put that in here too right <laughs> show a little bit of what GE could do with that so uh so there's this, a tiny little area in here that's just basically about health and recreation so you see uh uh and this is kind of a throwback to a previous kind of like a uh, Claude Coates gag uh where there's a girl on a bicycle uh, if you remember sort of like the uh, on the Home of Future Living, I had the guy like in front of the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the skis. Yep. This is kind of like the updated version of it. Exactly. So there's, there's a girl in in a zero G. So she's mm-hmm. upside down on this bicycle. Uh, and she's in the middle of this big parabolic circle screen that has it's being projected on. Uh, and I think it's like an outside scene, like in the fall or something. Yeah, right?
0: she's driving down the road. It's a...
4: Yeah, down a road, like a mountain road. Yeah. The one and above
0: is is kayaking. So you could go into that one and you could do kayaking. So the idea because it's got a has a has things to row. So she was right. in the road one. Uh it's kinda like um we would you know, instead of Soren. I'd call it biking or uh, or kayaking, <laughs> kayaking for one.
4: Right. It's like a flight simulator. Yep. So instead of flying the plane, you're riding a bike or you're doing a kayak, but you're you're in this pod kind of thing and
0: futuristic Peloton. Get, yeah. <laughs>
5: Yeah, just, just a neat idea. So uh, so there's this large device on a wall called a health scan, which I, I guess there's not a lot of details in the documentation about it, as far as I know. But apparently, it would be something that c- could sort of like keep track of how your body was doing, even if you weren't standing in front of it. I think it was kind of like a remote way to check to get maybe a, an update on your systems. Right, but. Right, sort of, just past this health scan thing, is this little inclusion, like an alcove, of a door that maybe looks like it goes somewhere, and they talk about sports in Zero-G, and there's these little shadows being projected of what looks like a basketball game going on uh, Mm -hmm. just in this little doorway and and people have tried to photograph it. And of course, if they use flash, it completely goes away Um, because it was projected shadows and the device that made it is actually fascinating. It's just this little projector with these little gobos uh where the characters would almost kind of like randomly fall <laughs> like maybe it was a uh, turning and they would go up to the top and then just kind of fall down and then like spin up the cylinder and like fall down again right <laughs> just it's just the simplest little trick but it was such a neat little thing uh so it's like there were like two characters in a ball and it was just kind of I, I can't imagine what a zero g basketball game would look like <laughs> it but it would probably be really fun to watch
0: i want to try to see like the like a rim shot and the ball by the yeah yeah interesting to say the least neat so. though so neat now we're ready to move on to like another one of the like super iconic scenes in the ride yeah this this one and, and how you even picked up on something in music let's play a little bit of the music here and see if anybody can pick up on uh, something in here <laughs>
5: So in this scene, uh, a space shuttle, you're, you're actually looking down at an airlock at the front of a space shuttle. And that space shuttle has a name because on the panel, yes. it says it's called the Santa Maria. Yep. So the space shuttle has arrived at its port. And since this is a zero-G corridor, the passengers that are getting on and off the shuttle have to have on magnetic boots. <laughs> and there is a family, again, Tom... Uh, Fitzgerald bringing family into all this. And actually, uh, I just read that, uh, it was he who actually came up with the concept. They were just going to have, you know, a, a spaceport mm-hmm. and, and Tom actually came up with the idea of like having a family interaction here. So he, he really did bring this part of it to, uh, uh, to the ride. Um, so there's a family that's, that's trying to transition from the space shuttle out into Bravo Centauri. Um, mom is probably the only one who's handling the situation with any grace. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's hanging out at the bottom, hanging onto, you know, a, a handrail. She now might have is, a
0: posterior pad too. Cause we see she, her rear end too.
5: She might. <laughs> this is a, a two story set. Yeah. So th- this is really big. Um, so mom's hanging out at the bottom and there's her luggage that has these big custom Bravo Centauri luggage tags on it is floating Kind of like halfway out of the door that would lead you, you know, into the proper airlock out into the, wherever they're heading off to. But the family is in a complete disarray <laughs> otherwise. Yeah, they can't get anything uh, right. <laughs> the dad, it was, it's like the Mefarkles in space. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. Exactly. Dad, dad is upside down, wearing, on the roof, wearing his magnetic boots. He is trying to get like a bunch of stuff that's floating away. So.
4: Hey, mom. What is it, Tommy? Look, Mom, I'm flying. Why don't you try? It? I don't know what
3: I'm going to do with you.
6: Don't let go of Napoleon. We don't want to lose him.
4: Hey, Mom. What if he just floats away?
6: Immolde.
0: Float. Hey, Mom. What if I just float away?
3: Then your father will get you as soon as he manages to get your shoe.
5: Tommy is the little boy, and they mention his name, which is why we know it. It's like he's just kind of floating there. He lost his magnetic shoe. So, dad is up trying to get his magnetic shoe. He's also trying to get Tommy's teddy bear, which has floated away. The dog is floating in zero G because apparently they don't make magnetic shoes for dogs.
0: You got to hold on to that dog if you get
5: you. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the little thing that we're talking about. So, mm-hmm. in this scene, George Wilkins interweaves. Aware oh, where, where has my little dog gone into the main music that's going on as a counter melody, as a humorous little nod to the dog, like
0: floating yeah. off. Absolutely brilliant in the music space. I mean, it's just, you know, what's really neat about this scene too is that the shuttle is subtly there. You see the the windows, and we all by 1983. The, the people have to understand we were only into the, uh, maybe about the fifth or sixth space shuttle mission, right? I mean, the first one was only 1981, um, but it was it was easily recognizable by all of the United States. Everybody knew what the show. So the, just having the uh, you know the the the, the windshield there, uh, and this idea that this part was docked around. The other interesting thing people would say: Well, wait a minute, you know, parts of the space station have gravity why are they floating this was supposed to be out in the wings in the docking bays before you get down to that area that is rotating so again brilliant storytelling here that you, you you entered the entered the airlock you came through you saw the spinning place where the where the artificial gravity is created this family's getting you know getting acquainted to the to the zero G it looks like interstellar space out behind them with all the starlights and everything. I mean, it's just, uh, just put together so, so well. And I, I think the key here is that the shuttle was relatable, right? It was, yes. it was something that was in front of them, uh, that you knew and where it was, uh, comfortable with. It's very cool. Um,
5: and there's a weird little thing here. So there are photos from the early days of horizons and it looks like, In the early photos that the teddy bear was a Winnie the Pooh plush. Oh, but in later pictures, like the ones that I took before it closed, it's definitely like a generic uh, like teddy bear with a bow tie. Hmm. So I'm very curious whether it's we're just I'm just seeing something that looks like it's a Winnie the Pooh and other people or whether it really was like a Winnie the Pooh plush. At that point, because that would, there'd be a hidden poo. I don't know if there's yep. any hidden poos in any <laughs> things. Um, <laughs> there, There is a hidden Mickey that we didn't talk about. Oh. There's oh. uh so when the dad in uh, Mesa Verde is wrapping the gift, the birthday gifts for mm-hmm. the party, there is some Mickey Mouse wrapping paper Oh, uh, up on there. Look at that. Um, which is very, very, again, very subtle. You'd never see it from yep. from far away.
0: Um, to add to your McFarkel story, too, here is it's like you said, McFarkles in space. I think the funny thing, too, is that the, the Santa Maria shuttle here, there's a, a description on the wall and overhead showing the seating assignments through the cargo bay. This must have been the last family off. Right, they're so screwed up that they, that they just cannot figure it out. Everybody else is gone. The gate agent is left. The captains right. are all done. <laughs> they can't they're even just do it. like right. Hey, there were forty-five out. other people with them, but they're uh, they're they're it's old hat for them. So
6: yeah.
5: Now the uh, dog is named Napoleon, and I don't know if there's anything mm. to that other than just some maybe somebody had a dog named Napoleon. Yeah. Um, but there is another there is another McGinnis in here. So George's son Reed. McGuinness uh, served as the model for Timmy, who oh. lost his boot. So, gotcha. that's George McGuinness's son floating.
0: All right, how? So the next scene. There's really not much of a transition; just a, a quick wall, and we're going into a manufacturing lab.
3: Oh, now that's really lovely. Practical too. Just think, materials from space for all kinds of industries back on Earth, and that's. Uh oh, we gotta run. Time for our grandson's party. Uh huh. We'll catch up to you later.
0: So in the future, more crystals. More crystals. Now what's interesting
5: is I've seen some concept models of this where instead of like a giant crystal, there were like space rocks underneath the little domes and a rock like an asteroid or some something to be mined perhaps. Like but I guess the crystals were just a quick, a quicker read and more interesting so they, yeah they just went with the big and the crystals are ridiculously large like oh they're like I eight mean, feet
0: uh, eight feet across and yeah um and then there's these half dome or actually almost these spherical domes of probably ge Lexan plastic there's four of them or three of them up on the ceiling three of them up on the uh three of them on the floor but what's really interesting is if you cut this room uh, across the horizontal plane in the center the top and bottom are exact mirrors of each other. Yes. Such yes. to the point of the control pad where she's on, she's facing it so she can read it. If she needed to then control the ones that are in the ceiling and flipped herself upside down, that control pad is upside down as we see it, but would be right side up to her. So yes. it is really, really neat the way that they did this, showing that, yes, she does not have to look mm-hmm. up. All she has to do is spin her body 180 degrees, and she'll be looking down at the crystals that she needs to work. I, I, that's that's really cool. I, I I can't think of anything else that has really you know put put all these different facets together. Um, and then you get the big crystal right in the center on one of the arms spinning around. I, I don't know what we're gonna do with those crystals when we get. I there have 20... no idea. You know, <laughs> I guess
5: Earth needs crystals for crystal radio sets and record needles. Yeah. and I. <laughs> electronics Electro- i'm just gonna go with the catch-all of electronics
0: well according to the cast member the bu- guy they're used a number of important applications back on earth so they didn't even know what they were <laughs> they-
5: and that's the thing it's like yes crystals grown in-, in zero gravity are important for manufacturing it's like and you can do things you know with purity that uh, that you can't get on earth but these sure. are you know normally you need a microscope to see the crystals growing it's like here you have this giant freaking crystal in front of you so they they definitely took some artistic license on this one uh it is interesting like you said todd she's working on a on uh with diffractometer controller a uh and she has it cranked up to c7 and it it goes to c it goes to c10 i don't know if there's a c11
3: Right across the board,
0: oh. 11. Oh, 11 and
2: the amps then
3: we'll... go up to ten. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not ten. One louder. Why don't you
0: just make ten louder and make ten be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to eleven. Because if you had a crystal manufacturing lab that goes to eleven, I mean, that's you're really, you're pumping up some, pumping out some yeah. fine crystal. So. Um but uh,
5: so the I guess what the diffractometer does uh, there's I think that sort of like cone that's coming out from the right hand side is like a camera mm-hmm. and then the close-up of of the of the crystals shown on the television set behind her so as that right. crystal is rotating it's like you'll notice that the image on the tv is also rotating sort yep. of in the same thing as, a, as if that's a live shot of that so
0: so maybe she's trying to get the, the clarity of the of the crystal Cryst- and the quality
5: yes it's they're 4k's maybe this is used maybe this is used for engagement rings in the future that's right, giant
0: it's, giant rock it's
5: better than cubic zirconia
0: <laughs> all right well we almost have to run as well we're getting to the end here but there is one more important scene before we uh launch our way back to earth and uh, hit another destination so uh we are ready to come on t- into the holographic party line We are outside. We are once again a peeping Tom. Yep. uh, Peeping into the home where we see uh, the family that we haven't met in the home. So we haven't met this portion of the family yet, right? So this is. Now, there have been pictures of them
5: scattered throughout the other environments. Correct. But you would would never see them from the ride,
0: really. Right. You'd have to walk up and.
5: Yeah, but they've been there the whole time,
0: oddly enough. So the first half of the ride, we met portion of the family. Then we went through all these other stages with no family that we've met uh, or no no relations to the family. Um, it is Davy's birthday today, Hal.
5: Yay, happy birthday, Davy. Happy
0: birthday, Davy. Uh, so here the birthday party is going on. There's the mother, the dad uh and davy was i think seated on his on his knee or something and it's his yeah he's kind his, of
5: suspend, like the dad is holding him uh on his two sides and he's kind of like his legs are dangling and his arms are kind of in a semi up position yeah Be- because yeah. that baby came from the home of future living i mean not specifically but it's the same baby that was the home of future living that was up in the crib same the,
0: sculpt okay That
5: yeah same sculpt so so that's why they had a baby. They had a baby from there that they could use. They didn't have to make a
0: new baby. They had a, they could reuse the baby. Yeah, and he's he's a year old, and because we are outside the house, we can use the glass for Pepper's ghost again. Yay! Uh, and how you've seen how these are done, and and you've seen. You know, so I'll let you talk a little bit about the. The different characters here
5: yeah this is this was a really interesting part of the ride because if you've been on the haunt well if if you've been on the haunted mansion before you guys have been on the haunted mansion plenty of times when mm-hmm. you're riding the haunted mansion and you see the peppers ghost effects either above you or behind you it's like you're in this little you know tight hallway so that you can't see the animatronic characters but in horizons in this section if you were to stick your head sort of forward in the car and look up, you could have seen the animatronic characters directly above you. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I used to take the video camera or the, the regular camera and just point it up and like take pictures of them hanging out above the track there because the, the glass is on sort of like a somewhere between a 45 degree and a 65 degree angle. So the characters above above your car reflected perfectly at the right angle there so you could I just, wish
0: i knew that back then
5: yeah it was really something so you had you had mom and dad first uh or i say grandma and grandpa from nova city first and uh then the next scene the next uh tv was i think it was i think it was tom tom 2 the beach boy yep. and then uh and he's still holding i think he's still holding his laser thing i can't remember I think he still got the gun in his hand cuz he probably is late <laughs> so he never had a chance to leave he he never, really. Yeah, he
0: he was going to be late no matter. He never what, got off so. that
5: spot. And then uh and then our redhead holding the cake that that yep. the uh dad made. I don't know where they are, but like it's it's her and they're all singing happy birthday uh holographically.
0: That's right. To little day. And it's neat cuz they kind of appear in this 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 what they're looking at. They kind of appear in these little I don't know, they're frames, but they're... Yes, they're like back... These neon lit, blue frames. Yeah, yeah, lit
5: frames. And it's interesting, all, all the time here, whenever there was a holographic effect, uh, there's been a little, like, flash in the lighting that uh, that's done on them that, that would reflect, and that was intentional. They oh. wanted a little bit of a glitchy light effect to make it appear more holographic.
0: Interesting.
5: So... In all the cases, it's where we've seen holographic characters, like, there's been this sort of, like, little holographic flicker.
0: Well, it's almost like in Star Wars, you can can hop from galaxy to galaxy, but your holographic transmissions are just horrid. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the the Wi-Fi signal, it's like they only have 6G up there, maybe, you know, 7G, (laughs) you know? We really need to get better Wi-Fi signals.
5: Because it's holographs, they didn't just have a wall behind the holographic frames, there were actually windows there and you could see back into that rotating space station again that was behind oh. them.
0: So because you could actually living in the space station. Yeah, so we see, haven't departed from the space station yet. You're
5: still in the space station. You can actually look through the holographs, the holograms to see that the rest of the the space station environment behind them on the inside.
0: I, I never even noticed that years. I'm going to have to go back and look at all the pictures. So you could that is so cool. That is brilliant, and they have quite a spread of food up. It's like they're expecting everybody to just come out of the hall, <laughs> yeah, and I eat, guess eat so. with them. There's a lot of food on these three tables. Yeah. So. Now, uh, in this case,
5: they didn't do a movie. It's just a mural of the of the background of the space colony behind them. Right. But it is it is definitely the space colony. So it's gotcha. Really neat to see. That's cool.
0: See, it's a really neat. Scene. It begs the question: What happened to the rest of the family at the harvester. Maybe the storm took them out. I don't know. <laughs>
5: It's tragic. Oh no! It's, yeah,
0: because she has the cake, right? But the other the other part of the family is not there. And yeah, the person that actually bit, went through all the trouble to bake the cake, didn't? But he didn't even show up. The other little kids nowhere to be seen. So yeah. Well, now that we've seen all the different areas, we now come to some travel displays. Uh, in these, um, these are the launch tube advertisements, giving us different ways that we experience futuristic travel now. Yes. Uh, so we, these are done. These are, they're not a true hologram. They're more of a reef. Is it a pepper's ghost or is it a mirrored reflection? It's that we this, these- it's this parabolic I, I call it a parabolic window. Okay.
5: I don't know if that's the official term. The same kind of setup is used in space mountain in Florida. When you're in this, in the star chamber and you're, mm-hmm. uh, you see some of like the, the guys, like, uh, there's like a long ship And as you walk past it, it kind of, just, and you'll see that same kind of distortion in the videos when you watch them. It's like, so they, they, they actually have to mount this stuff upside down because when it's in this parabolic reflection, it turns it upside down. So you have to put the thing, mount the thing upside down. And what it kind of does is it just makes it look like the the thing is kind of floating Mm -hmm. in the middle of the glass. Uh, And I've actually seen this effect in real life. There's an aquarium by us. And it has a, uh, it has a um, sort of like this curved tube that you can look out of. Mm-hmm. Where It's, it's a, a cylinder that's going up and down. And the way the reflections work, it looks like there's nothing in front. You end up like banging yourself into the thing because it <laughs> takes a little bit of the background. It is kind of like this weird hybrid Peppers ghosty thing right. where, the, where the reflection appears to be like sitting in the midair when it's really just in the middle of this bent plastic fascinating it's a really it's a really neat effect i wish i understood more about how it works and now i'm gonna have to go find that out too
0: so we go past these and we have uh we can visit omega centauri which is weird right well wait a minute we're at brava centauri so now we're gonna go to omega centauri and here's
5: here's now in a bunch of i've been reading a bunch of interviews with george mcginnis while we've been doing this and during Mm -hmm. the entire and almost every interview where he talks about horizons he keeps calling it omega centauri hmm and I wonder if at some point it was supposed to be Omega Centauri the entire way through. And at, you know, the last minute or whatever, they changed it from Omega to Brava. And that was the one place where they missed changing it. And it just stayed because it wasn't worth redoing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. It does. Just it doesn't it doesn't match up um, it says
5: now open cuz my assumption is like we went through the construction of it and by the time we got out of the back end of it right it was open <laughs> <laughs> cuz none of the other none of the other ones have any other secondary text right that's true that's true it's very unusual
0: so the next one is mesa verde Mm-hmm. and right. there's a neat little you know it's our craft our pegasus craft yep, pegasus craft driving driving and the sea castle resort with little sub um what is interesting is that they don't let you go to nova city which i always thought that was interesting that that was left out
5: yes and we okay. saw at the epcot 35 mm-hmm. uh a, a preliminary control panel where uh that was an option and for some reason it got probably a budgetary thing it got cut and they decided to not do that.
0: Right, right. It would be interesting. There would be more of a chance for a tie, too, with four options oh, yeah. and four people. So, who knows? Never know. Which, hey, let's talk about that. So, we're presented with these three holographic, fractal, reflective <laughs> models, if you will. Um, and at that point, the announcers tell us
3: Attention Horizons, passengers. You are invited to choose your own flight path back to the future port. Please look down at the lighted panels in front of you. Press one of the three ride choices, space, desert, or undersea. Everyone can choose, majority rules. All passengers, make your selections now.
0: Uh, Interesting little tunnel that has launch sequence initiated flashing ads. Really uh, just a backlit stuff and, and systems check is complete. Of all the effects on the ride, this is really the cheesiest. You know, oh, lock yeah. open. It's very Space Mountain-esque.
5: Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say, because in I don't know if it's still that way in Space Mountain. But when I rode Space Mountain in the 80s and 90s, they had very similar light up panels. Yeah. Down the length of the launch tube as you were getting in and waiting to take off.
0: And there's all these geometric shapes and they're flashy. It's it's in
5: fact, I would not be surprised if they were the exact same panels <laughs> as were on Space Mountain, because George McGinnis did Space Mountain too, so I, because yeah. the the launch one in particular has like yes. this kind of, I swear to God, it's the
0: same thing. It, it it might it might very well be. So yeah, you're correct. So I'm, I'm looking at the video here that you took and. Yeah, you're presented with three options that light up. There's a star. You now have a star field in front of you, right?
5: Which is a nice neutral. It's like you're not. There's nothing to look
0: at it, but it's nice because the star is
5: not just black.
0: Yep. And it forces you to look down at a panel, and in front of the everybody are three different uh, options of where you want to go, how you want to end your 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 visit here, Uh, and the idea is that you touch and vote in the individual car. So this is really the first interactive type pride um, that i can think of that really changed the ending um if people remember in the 80s choose your own adventure books were big so this is kind of like a choose your own adventure ending here
5: is this uh, uh is this predate the clue movie
0: it might <laughs> <laughs> uh so so majority would rule so uh the system would basically figure out um through computational analysis of Statistical analysis of how many buttons for Mesa Verde we pressed versus the others. Uh, And then a really, really unique system was deployed and set up so that they could display the film that you chose. Um, And I read it, and I still don't understand how it works. (laughs) But let's talk a little bit about what happened. So you choose... Now, I I know someone's going to ask, I know
5: by default if you didn't touch any buttons that you would get space.
0: Oh, really, that was the default. But
5: I don't know what would happen in the case of a tie. So if yeah. like so if if there were two choices that weren't space, I don't know how I would know what it decision tree it used to pick which one you saw. Gotcha. So gotcha. some we're gonna have to find somebody who worked that one out <laughs> and know for
0: sure. So what would happen is that you would choose one of these three endings, um, and the ride vehicles were pretty close to each other. In fact, at certain times, you could probably reach over and touch somebody else's arm if they reached oh, sure. out. And tu- you know? So what would happen is these blinders would actually fold off to the side of you from, from the screen to prevent you from—you uh, could always peek over, but to prevent any side light or—obviously, uh, if you chose space, you didn't want to see desert of the car next to you what they chose, and obviously it was timed, so they want to have it timed perfectly. So these blinders would kinda of pop up, um, the screen would open up and you would present it be presented with a final exit, which was about a what was it? Not even thirty seconds, I don't I don't believe. Yeah. Um, in the area that you chose. So in space you you actually come out one of those airlocks, you whip around um some space station stuff and um I, I, I Bounce off of an asteroid, and I think you eventually land um, in another portal. And so it's only about, you know, 30 seconds or so. I never found the space one very interesting. I, I thought it was just never gave the sensation of flying. My favorite was uh, Mesa Verde, it was, mm-hmm. it was the desert yeah. scene. Um, and what's really neat about that one, we are working to try to connect up with the individuals who did that, but that one in particular. Um, they actually built an entire set, an entire model and flew the camera over the model, which I think is just unbelievable.
5: Yeah. And that's how all these were done. There was there were, was it two sets done at the Burbank airport and another set uh, done on a soundstage at Disney. And they had to spread this stuff around because I think it took two years to actually film wow. these sequences. I mean, and that's the mind blowing part of this. For the amount of work that it took to like to make these films, to paint the backdrops, I mean, some of this stuc- stuff took eight months, nine months to work on one tiny little component of this. In this case, I think the films took nearly a year or, or two years to make for 30 seconds. Right. I mean, if you're like, where did the $71 million go? It's like, <laughs> that's where the $71 million went. If that's what you went to Disney today and say like, oh, I want to spend... You know, I want to spend $6 million to work on this 30-second sequence. They'd be like, you're crazy. Get yeah. out of here.
0: Yeah, absolutely nuts. There's, <laughs> there's no no way we're going to let you do that.
3: Well, we're almost back from the future. Oh, it went by so quickly. Yes, but one of the nice things about traveling into the future is that it is just beginning. That's right. And I'll tell you something. If we can dream it, we really can do it. And that's the most exciting part.
0: So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We have burned the midnight oil here. And uh, I think what we're going to hear is we're going to, there is a little bit more to the ride, but that's part of the legacy, I think, because talking about the mural and the ending and how that has changed over the years and what this attraction has really left in the minds of everybody. Uh, In part three, we want to take you back to some additional um, historical aspects of the attraction why it was left such a mark in everybody's lives what happened to it what did people do in terms of documenting the ride we mentioned hoot gibson and others um and i think there's some additional people that we're working to try and get in touch with and i think we also should um how i've got my own reflection i'd like to talk about uh why i think it was so successful and why it left such an impression on everybody i've been thinking about this for a while i'm sure you have your own um and i think that would be you know that's a perfectly setting us up for for part three the legacy of really what has horizons left what did it do for the theme park industry what did it do for Disney and and it set a bar that to this day I think a lot of people think will never be reached again Um, but it was a different time a different era and um, we'll definitely dive into that more um, next time around so um, how real quick you got any new shirts coming up Uh, yes actually this is
5: all of this research I think has led us led me to four or five potential designs for for new horizons themed shirts so be on the lookout Woo-hoo! shortly for some new stuff because yeah we've we've uncovered a lot of nice deep cuts and references nice. that i think we can
0: utilize that'll be great that'll be great we'll be looking forward for those um you can find those at retrowdw.com forward slash support us and uh as always if you feel like making a donation you can also go to retrowdw.com forward slash donate and we also have our big event coming up in October. Um, we'll talk about a little bit more about that next month as well, but if you head over to retromagic.net, we'll give you all the information on our big event coming up on October 12th and 13th, 2019. Um, the VIP tickets have already sold out in a matter of, of days, um, but we've got tickets left for the main Retro Magic event, uh, which runs all day on October 13th. Go check them out, we hope to see a lot of you there. And um, thank you very much for sticking with us to this entire, I don't know what this is going to edit down to, but probably close to three hours. We've been running nearly three and a quarter here recording. This
5: is such a deep, rich one to talk about. It's like we knew we'd have to go yeah, pretty much into the weeds on this one to do it justice.
0: And I hope, I hope that you came along on this journey and listened to this with the music and with the narration that we've added in that really gave you... An idea of what the ride was, if you had never been on it, and if you did enjoy it, uh, that it really brought back the memories that I think are still instilled in a lot of our hearts, um, because it certainly is uh, one of those attractions that uh, is deeply burned into many many people's memories, uh, and it's left a, a legacy uh, for for many in many ways. So thank you very much for coming aboard uh, on this journey through Horizons. We will be back next month with Horizons Part Three: The Legacy. With that, we'll see you next month. And Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and
4: Instagram at LBV History and on the web at LBVHistory.org. Follow Todd McCartney and RetroWDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW for all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise. Visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios at Jason DWS, our announcer Andre Gardner at Andre Gardner, and follow our hosts Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen, Green, and on the web at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Coujer on Twitter at LS1JT, on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at rubbercitymotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a non-profit, non-partisan, tax-exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities.